Welcome to Second Chances, the Persuasion Podcast, a bonus episode. That's right. Grace, what are we talking about today? We are talking about Netflix's 2022 Persuasion. This very year. We are recording this episode on the day it was released to Netflix. We just watched it. Yes. A couple hours, maybe an hour ago now. Yeah, recording maybe, let's say, two hours after having watched it. Has it been a two full hours? (laughs) (laughs) Has time just felt that much sweeter (laughs) after having watched it? Um, Yes, this is the Netflix version uh, directed by Carrie Cracknell. Written by Ronald Bass and Alice Victoria Winslow. Starring Dakota Johnson uh-huh. and Cosmo Jarvis. And Henry Goulding. And Richard E. Grant. Yes, among others. Among others. Okay, um, so we'll get, let's get right into it. This movie's been generating a lot of controversy. There's been a lot of reviews, a lot of think pieces online about it. A lot of uh, spicy takes. And I'm, I'm sure anyone listening to this podcast already knows what the chatter has been but grace what you want to give us a little overview of what uh some of those reactions to this movie maybe well i'm just gonna say on the whole it has not been positive is that fair to say i don't think it has been necessarily critically well received nor well received by austin fans in general, in general. there are exceptions i'm sure or maybe movie fans <laughs> <laughs> We read, like, two good reviews, or there are, like, two good reviews out there of this movie. (laughs) Not we read two good reviews, there just are Uh, perhaps two. Um, But yeah, generally, um, it has not been doing well. It has not been well received by critics and viewers. I think uh, generally among Austin fans... What has been most surprising, I think, and we all knew, we knew going in that this was going to be a... A sort of updated version, a little bit more modern, and just like how modern it is and how different some of these characterizations are than the book, right? Yeah. Well, I remember like hearing news that this pers- that um, this Persuasion podcast was sorry, movie, per- sorry, yeah. Persuasion movie We're was the Persuasion co- podcast. That's right. We are the Persuasion podcast. That um, uh, a Persuasion movie was in the works at Netflix. And um, I remember, like, even that long ago, there was a tagline that was like, you know, Anne Elliot is a modern woman with modern sensibilities trapped in Regency confinements or whatever, something to that extent. And I'm like, even back then, you know, I had, I was a little bit, um, I was a little bit, uh, let's say, like, anxious about what that implied about the direction that the movie was going to go to into because, you know, that's just not... That's just not what Anne is. That's just not how our Anne Elliot behaves. Uh, this is not your parents' persuasion. <laughs> that, that might as well have been the tagline. <laughs> What's weird is that this is, you know, it is not updated in the way that, like, Clueless or Fire Island is. It is set in the same time period. It is set in, you know, the early 1800s in the t- the setting that it would have been in, in, like, south- southern England. Mm-hmm. But, uh... It's filled with just, like, modern, like, lingo, like, modern language, like, modern references. Modern, like, yeah, modern, um, I don't know, things about, like, self-care and and, and other, like, um, philosophies that probably were not really in existence yet. It's not so much, like, a criticism of, like, Regency era. Like, this is not, like, Tessa the Dubervilles, you know? (laughs) This is not, like, showing, like, oh, you know... This is, these were the injustices of, like, that time period and that society. It's more just, like, 
let's throw the society, like, what, historical accuracy out the window, and, like, I don't know, I guess it's, like, a Bridgerton effect, maybe? I haven't really watched that show, so I'm sorry, but it's just, like, <laughs> let's, like, what would it be like if people from the Regency time, like, said, like, words, like, fra- words and phrases that we use now and behave like people from the 21st century? Right. I mean, you mentioned Bridgerton, and there have been, there were a lot, there was a lot of, uh, think pieces or, or whatever comparing this show to Bridgerton and Fleabag and, um others that I can't think of right now but like it I don't even think I don't even think Bridgerton goes so far as to include like modern lingo like they still kind of have that like high language when they speak in in the Bridgerton series but you're right in that I think perhaps this is just my conjecture the success of Bridgerton kind of um launched this project this persuasion project and they're like well what if we took you know what if we push that thought even that much further and also like just brought modern language into pers- into um, a Regency era movie but then keep it of course in Regency era with the costumes and the settings and the you know and the conventions and things like that right to give you I'm sure a lot of these people listening a lot of you listeners have seen this movie but if you're smart and you're skipping it and just listening to the podcast instead to to give you a new example of what I'm talking about or what we're talking about, like, at the beginning of the movie, Anne Elliot's like, when I was dating Wentworth, he made me a playlist. And then she holds up, like, a bundle of, like, sheet music. <laughs> uh, I almost wish that they had gone more in that direction, I guess. Yeah, right. It's like, kind of just these things peppered throughout. But yeah, go ahead. But yeah, like, to your point, like, yeah, yeah if you're going to do that, if you're going to, like, do this, I don't know, like, I would, to be very generous to this movie would be would be to call it experimental. Um, if you wanted to be experimental in that way, yeah, like, full steam ahead, you know, don't half-ass it, I feel like which is what this movie kind of did. It, I mean, it half-assed a lot of things, to be honest, but, like... The, that kind of scene, that moment almost th- makes me feel like this. there was a version of this movie that was, like, a straight parody of, <laughs> like, Austin adaptations of yeah. Regency set period pieces. She's gonna hold up a letter and call it a text or well, something. Yeah, like, like if Mel Brooks had, like, decided to do a hot take <laughs> on, like, Austin adaptations, right? Like, the space balls of Austin <laughs> adaptations. But it doesn't quite go that far. Mm-mm. It's more so, that's why it's a little, like, disorientating when someone says, like, I'm an empath, because it's... It's like, what is this movie doing, you know? Are we supposed to take this setting time period seriously, or is this just straight, like, like parody, kind of? Like, rules are out the window. Yeah, that is an interesting question. I would like to see a Spaceballs treatment of a Jane Austen novel, frankly. That sounds fantastic compared to, like, like, like yeah, like this this movie, which, like, I don't think was even that, that sure of what it wanted to be. Like, it had modern lingo, modern language, like you said about talk of, like, empath and, and gratitude and all that stuff, and and all all of that stuff but then also you're instead of being instead of being i feel like like um like it, it being a happy surprise you're sort of like thrown it's like, it's like the, the rugs being pulled out from under you when you're watching the movie because it's like oh wait what's happening here like where am i supposed to be like how am i supposed to be watching this movie how am i supposed to be interpreting what they're saying to each other I, like, yeah, I think the movie still wants you to take the story and the characters seriously, but these kind of choices kind of make it hard. Not to say that it can't be done, but it's just not working here. Mm. Spoiler alert. All right, well, let's move on to the topic of our main heroine, Anne Elliot. Um, as played by... Whom? As played by Dakota Johnson. Okay. Hollywood royalty. <laughs> um, so what, what's your take on this 
version of Anne. Ooh, I was hoping you would start. <laughs> it's, let me just, I'll say, first of all, and then I want to hear what you have to say, Grace, that this is not the Anne Elliot from the book. I'm sure that's all over the internet. Everyone knows this by now, but they just decided to, like, rewrite the character it's her it's the situation that Anne elliot of the book goes through but it is not the same character no it is it is that is probably like the most tragic thing about this movie is that they seem to have had no confidence in Anne elliot our Anne elliot our book Anne elliot being able to perhaps carry a movie like for you to believe that someone you know mild-mannered and and um and um, unassuming and uh, like with no self-confidence and I don't know perhaps not very pretty looking you know could perhaps could even carry a movie so they I guess just completely went in the other direction and made her like smarmy and um and sassy and you know it says everything with like a twinkle in her eye and always has to have the last laugh almost almost has to have the last word and so it is definitely not it's hard to I, I don't know it's the more I talk about it the more I'm like I'm trying to like be very very diplomatic here because I was not as calm about an hour ago talking about this movie but it's just like it, it just seemed like they really had no um interest in adapting or in um writing Anne Elliot of the book and so they just like you said, kind of imbued her with a completely different set of personalities and traits. Um, she's definitely, she's, I, we both said this throughout, to, uh, often through the movie, this Anne Elliot is mean. <laughs> she's like mean to the people around her. She's very snarky. She's mean and it, bitter uh, and like, I think you also mentioned more, even more pathetic. Well, here's, yeah, here's the thing <laughs> is that the Anne of the book, you know, eight years passes since this great romance and the, the Anne of the book is like, I'm just going to try to convince myself that I'm older than I am, that mm -hmm. life has passed me by, I'm going to try to be useful for other people, but, yeah, like, I don't... Fantasizes, yeah, she fantasizes herself bestowing her wisdom to, like, young people in love, as if she herself is not a young person, which, you know, 200 years ago, a 27-year-old unmarried woman was not really considered a young person. Uh -huh. And there's, like, a lot of shades of nuance to that, like, particular part of Anne, which we talk a lot about in the podcast, like, this idea, like, you know... Her romantic fantasies are no longer, hey, Wentworth's going to come back and sweep me off my feet. It's that maybe I'll meet another young woman in my same position and I can give her different advice, mm -hmm. right, than yeah. what I got. Right. She's not pining over him still. She's not, you know, sobbing in bed, um, rereading his letters, I don't know, caressing his lock of hair, that kind of stuff. Okay, well, we should mention Whoa. that all this happens in the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. No, this so, is the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Right, yeah, like... It's it's in that way it's like it's more pathetic because she has she's some has it's like for some reason you know I guess because maybe this is like a sort of like way to imbue her with modernism is to like make her still feel her feelings you know and make her like cry in bed and all of that stuff um, but then as a result what comes out is like somehow a version of Anne that's even more um, pathetic to watch. Uh, like than the Anne in the book right the end of the book is like she is like almost still interested in Wentworth's like life despite herself you know mm -hmm. she'll be like she has like you know when she hears that his sister's coming to live there she 
like feels like she's like i you know i can't remember if this is the exact moment but she's like i thought i was too old to blush but i guess i'm not too old for like emotions to still run back right right like she is trying her to like move on and in like opening scenes of this movie this Anne elliott is getting drunk which she does a lot in this movie like <laughs> crying in bed like listening to music in the bath i don't know she's behaving as if like this breakup happened like a couple weeks ago Mm. and the fact that like this is how she's still acting eight years later i don't know is the implication like this is a montage of like no i think the implication is this is what she's doing eight years later to the day to the day that she you know finds out that or to the day you know that um kelly and Charles has to be led you know that's just yeah because we were talking about like like that was like you saying like this is like the montage where the broken up girlfriend the broken up girl in the rom-com eats ice cream and drinks wine and watches sad movies in bed and all and eats chocolates or whatever and we're just and so we're watching this unfold and we're like so has she just been eating ice cream for the last eight years of her life seemingly (laughs) i mean maybe we're if we're wrong tell us but that's kind of that's just what it felt like watching it yeah yeah i got to that weird point where um like also in the movie or in the movie yeah lady russell comes in she's like it's been you know six years or no she's it's like it's been six years or something and then she's like and she was like seven years or whatever yeah. it's just like 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 truly like a mother coming in to check up on their teenage ch- teenage daughter well and then there's just like a larger reason that you can't i think like the end of this movie is like she is a movie star you know she's like a quirky like snappy like joke telling movie star almost a little bit like elizabeth bennett if like all her good qualities were taken away <laughs> but the question is is like Elizabeth Bennett would never be in the same position as Anne. Right. You know, like, how does this, like, movie star of a person, like, who is constantly quipping become, like, the whipping child of her own family, (laughs) right? Yeah, right. Well, that's the thing. It's like, Anne Elliot in the movie is not a whipping child. She's not, she's not the, I mean, okay, yes, to some extent, she is obviously the least, maybe the least favorite child, but or the ignored child, but she is not by any means, like, suffering, I don't think. Or at least the movie doesn't really... It at least doesn't do the job of like showing that Anne is truly miserable at home. It doesn't do that. No, it doesn't give us a good idea of our home, her home life. There's a quote. There's a line in the movie where she's like, "Oh, you know, I'm the crack in my father's looking glass." Like, right. like which implies like a situation that's like Anne of the book, which is that her family just like ignores her at best and at worst is like actively slighting her. But but like that's it, you know. Well, all of the, the funny thing is, it's like I feel like in the podcast. We've talked about Elizabeth, um, Anne's sister Elizabeth, um, Elizabeth Elliot, and how mean she is actually as like a sister and like towards Anne. Like she is like, like not just ignoring Anne, but just like uh, you know cutting her down to size to her face as if she doesn't as she, as if she just has no feelings. But like all of those qualities, strangely enough, get passed to Aunt Dakota Johnson's Anne, and it's just like. Like, why do that? It's just, as, as, and so, like, by doing that, it's, like, I don't, I'm not pitying Anne for her family situation. I don't pity Anne, um, like, in a, I don't, I don't sympathize for her because, because she's mean and she uh. can clearly hold her own against her family. Like, she's not, you know, suffering under the, you know, the, you know, constricting, like, environment of Kellynch. Apparently it's Kellynch. Uh, of Kellynch Hall. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um... And so, yeah, like, as a result, it's like, well, she, and, and so then, like, if, basically, if Anne, which is my larger point, which is, if Anne is not the whipping child, if she's not 
being, you know, um, whatever. If she's not being looked over, if she's not just like a wallflower, then like all of the things that she says, all of the quips that she makes, she's punching down at her family. Uh-huh. You know, we can't root for her because she is because you know in the in the movie she is the smartest person in the room, which Anne Elliot of the book is not. She's not always the smartest person in the room. She's got a quiet strength She's and a, dignity. The, yeah. Well, the end of the book is dignified, which the, the end of the movie is not. Sorry. Sorry yeah. yeah, she really does not have um, dignity. dignity. <laughs> no, I wouldn't say so. No, well, she's just... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, she's just like a drunken, like... Um, Oh, what's that person who just, like, doesn't believe in... Like, a like drunken a, a nihilist. Mis- a misanthrope, A misanthrope, maybe, yeah. yeah. A dr- drunken misanthrope who's just, like, aimlessly, you know, being a sourpuss for, like, seemingly no reason. Or she's, like, you know, talking... Like, insulting her family and, like, all the un- insults go over their heads. I know. I Like, at the end of the movie, I'm like, I want to see Anne cut down to size, kind <laughs> of. Like, yeah. she needs a comeuppance. I guess the question is, is, like, why would she be the crack in her father's mirror in the movie if she's, like, beautiful and vivacious? Which I think we're supposed to th- believe she is. Yeah, I guess because, I mean, it's <laughs> another funny thing that we, uh, I mean, I'm sure everyone else caught is that, like, for some reason, they just, they made the choice of just having Dakota Johnson's hair just, like, flow down without it being put up in any kind of way, which is a huge no-no, like, back then. Like, a woman, a proper woman would not just have her hair, like, down, like a like a 2022 influencer look, you know? And yet, yeah. maybe, so, like, maybe that's their way of trying to make and like, the quote-unquote embarrassment of the family. Like, she doesn't follow the rules of society. I guess that's what they would be going for. Because the thing is, is everyone she, else has their hair up in yeah, the movie. Yeah, like, she's just yeah. so depressed and heartbroken but that she can't even like take the time to have her maid put her hair up like that just makes no sense i guess that would be it like oh she doesn't follow the rules of society but this is us like afterwards trying to figure this question out that's not necessarily what we got from the movie no i mean i guess i see it now like she also has this very annoying quality which is a trope in movies that i hate of just like blurting out like awkward things in during awkward silences yeah that happens a lot in this which movie. is not something obviously Anne and ellie to the book would never do it but i just don't think like real humans like i don't know maybe humans do do it but it's not it doesn't play out the way it does in movies no she yeah. comes off as like a try hard uh, as like a try hard and a like, like Someone um, who's desperate for attention. Yeah, which Anne Elliot is certainly not. Uh-huh. She was all too happy to never have anyone look at her ever. Well, living with the family, living yeah. with the Elliots. At least yeah, living with the Elliots. Yeah. I think we should just get into. All right, the let's movie. get into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. So how do how do we start out here? With some hands. Ooh. <laughs> we see. What other Jane Austen adaptation does that make us think of? Oh, give me the Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. yeah. Or a single hand. Well, hey, that. That single hand shot alone in... Pre- okay, does... Well, this is no 2005 Pride and Prejudice. We both said that. We said, yeah. No, it's... No, the... <laughs> the like, all of the expas of... Um, all of the expas in Persuasion, like, can't hold a candle to that single shot of the hand... Of, Mr. of Mr. Darcy's hand in yeah. Pride and Prejudice. Well, that's another... I mean, okay... This movie has, we're going to get into it, but this movie is filled with voiceover, like, fourth wall breaking, and at the same, so there's your exposition, but at the same time, characters are constantly blathering exposition and dialogue, too. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't know, if you're going to have voiceover, then just, like, leave the exposition there and yeah. let the scenes play out, you Either know? do voiceover or do the talking to the camera, but you, why do both, you yeah. know? Or just, like, or let them tell the story through the dialogue. It's yeah. clunky, but that's something. <laughs> I do, but it, I got distracted. The original point was that uh, to that Pride and Prejudice 
Pride and Prejudice's credit, there is no voiceover. That's true. Any literary adaptation that does not have voiceover deserves, like, at least the the credit of trying to, yeah. you know, adapt, like, the story visually, which is very hard to do. Okay, yeah. And I'm thinking about, pro- like, past adaptations. I will say the one, the one I feel like maybe exception to the rule is Clueless, because I think... I just want to talk about other adaptations because I don't even want to talk about this adaptation anymore. But okay, one more thought about Clueless is that um, Cher's voiceover, it, I think it's like, it's like almost like tongue in cheek her because she is like sort of like this, you know, valley girl. And she's like, it's like, it's funny that she's like narrating her own life, you know? Uh-huh. Like, I think the opening line is, I know what you're thinking. Like, is this a Noxema commercial or what? <laughs> it's just such a great way to start off the, the movie Clueless. And so anyway, my point being like, there are ways to do that, to do voiceover, but but the way Persuasion did it, on top of everything else that it tried to do, was just not cutting it. Uh, well, that, that voiceover builds character. Yeah. The voiceover right. here is really for exposition. Yeah. And I think what the character building is, is like the... Dakota Johnson is constantly mugging at the camera. Yeah. Like, and I think that's what's supposed to be character building, <laughs> passing for character building in this movie. Which is just silly. It's like, I mean, we've we've ha- we've talked about this point again and again, but it's like that is just not Anne Elliot's character at all. It's like this movie did not want Anne Elliot as its main character, um, which is just really really tragic because Anne Elliot is actually a great character. She like it, and it would have been really really great to see a, a great adaptation of Persuasion done with a character like Anne Elliot. But instead, they are just like. They did the Mansfield Park route and uh, the 2009 Mansfield Park route and just ha- imbued her with like 99. Sorry, 99. Yeah, oh my gosh. Yeah. And just imbued her with like confidence and like sassiness and just like whatever because I don't know they're afraid to have any other female char- strong quote unquote strong female character than anyone who's just like talks back and like doesn't conform to society and all that all that nonsense. All right, I think we're about two seconds into this movie. <laughs> before uh, before we continue, I guess we should just say like all right. We've gotten it out of the way, you know, it's not the same and so we're just gonna have to live with that, yeah, right? right? And, like, try to judge the movie based on its own merits. Okay. And, you know, it's made the choice of having an- anachronisms. Whether... Whether we like it or not, yeah. I guess. You know, we'll try to, like, you know, judge the movie based on what they were trying to accomplish, right? Okay, we'll try that, right, yeah. we'll try. We'll try. Okay, all right. So we start out, we're in a field. We're in a field. We got, like, Anne Elliot and uh, Captain Wentworth, like, snuggling and kissing, which obviously would not have happened. <laughs> so I'm already breaking my my one resolution. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they're kissing, holding hands, and uh, Wentworth is crying. He has single tear. Single tear. Yeah. Single manly tear falling down his face. And uh, I think it's safe to say this is a flashback. Okay, I was a little, I, I did have, the, we end on a very similar image, so I was not entirely sure whether this was a flash forward or a flashback, but I, I think, think this is a flashback, right? I think yeah. to your point, is like, there's supposed to be like bookends, mm-hmm. but at this point I so did not care about the movie that I didn't even like care that it was bookended. Anyway, sorry, regardless. Um, yes, so presumably this is when, I guess, Anne breaks it off with him and they're still snuggling, Something. even though like in the book, he was obviously like, super upset and pissed uh, off yeah where he like immediately left and like obviously would not be like i don't know consoling her (laughs) after she's just jilted him i think we have a little voice over here right that's just like blah 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 this is the history (laughs) of me and wentworth yeah she was like i almost got married or something like that i was like great you couldn't have done this with vision visuals Uh, in a in a in a moving picture 
Okay, so there's that. And then, you know, flash forward We're and at- is getting drunk on bottles of wine. <laughs> We're at Kelly and Chal. Kelly and Chal, yeah. Um, I guess we'll start saying that. I don't know. Right. <laughs> okay. Um, so this is, like like we said, the way that she reacts to this breakup is, like, straight out of that montage from 500 Days of Summer, like, after he breaks up with, uh, yeah. jo- uh, after Joseph Gordon-Levitt breaks up with Zoe Deschanel. Mm-hmm. He's just, like, eating ice cream, drinking bottles of whiskey, like, lying face down in bed. Like, this is basically what she's doing. Right, right? Uh, yeah. Except the difference between this and that movie is that his breakup was fresh, and this breakup has it's been what eight years going now. for eight years yeah, yeah. so um yeah and then we and then we she hear, has a pet rabbit she's a pet rabbit that's a choice i guess yeah. it made me think of the favorite which is put a bunch of pet rabbits to a much better use but regardless i think it's just supposed to show that she's like an innocent and maybe still like kind of like a child because she has this like pet that's like her only friend in the house that's weird the end of the book is also not childish at all but this yeah. end is actually very childish and yeah. immature no another yeah another deviation is no yeah 27 year old Anne thinks she's like you know an old spinster and this Anne thing is behaving like a teenager uh, who's been who's like stuck at her parents house i don't know that's another like if their goal was to make this Anne stronger than the one in the book they've like they chose the i feel like they've totally failed and they've like the things they did were the most superficial like, like, signals of, like, her strength were the most superficial choices. Like, just making her snarky, I guess. Yeah, which is, whatever. Well, I mean, again, like, for the hundredth time, that is not Anne Elliot. Anne Elliot uh-huh. is not, not snarky. She would never snark. Um, and then we, you know, there's the, narr- and starts narrating mm-hmm. again. She this- takes on, she, for some reason, starts taking on the Austin voice. The Austin she, she says voice. some things that come from the third person, yeah. Yeah, about her father, who, with the, that brilliant line of dialogue... The, that brilliant line from Jane Austen, which is, you know, um, vanity is the beginning and end of Sir Walter. And then for some reason, the authors decided to cl- include the addition of and the middle. This is Anne Elliott says looking directly at the camera. Um, I think that's just a testament. We said this. I think that's supposed to be fan service for Austen fans. Like, look at this cheeky update of this classic line. But I think it speaks to something you said, Grace, and uh, we both said, which is that the writers think that they're better than Austen. They've, they they kind of, in some places, seem to imply that they think they're better writers than Jane Austen. It's just like any, I don't know, any kind of editor could have taken a look at this and just been like the beginning and end is fine you don't need to you don't need the insertion of and the middle because it's implied in the beginning and end you know it's a perfectly it was a perfectly phrased sentence that jane austen wrote 200 years ago it did not need to be adapted uh well also it's just like the b it's the alpha and omega yeah and the rest of the alphabets (laughs) (laughs) it's just like i don't know it cheapens it in a lot of ways but whatever (laughs) whatever i I also we forgot to mention in this opening montage where she's grieving wentworth eight years later this is when she like goes through a box of memories and that's when she holds up like the playlist (laughs) and like oh a lock of his hair and a lock of his horse's hair which is weird i i I guess i appreciate like that's like in that moment, I'm like, okay, this is what it, this, it's spaceball. <laughs> this is spaceballs of Jane Austen, right? Yeah, uh, I was like, okay, I will accept this level of like, um, this level of ridiculousness if if it's gonna maintain this this beat, this um, this speed, you know. Uh, okay, but yeah, as you're saying, we get to meet her family. You know, we meet Sir Walter. He's looking in the mirror and reading the Baronetage. Mm-hmm. Richard Grant trying, doing his best here. Yes. Yeah. Interesting exclusion is the stillborn son does not. 
get mentioned. And this is something that, and this should have been a hint for us that the movie has no interest in being dark in any way, shape, or form, despite the darkness of this actual novel. Right. We were just talking about in the last podcast how this novel is suffused with death on every page. Yeah. But the, there's the, hardly the, any uh, death in this movie at all. The, the, there are still widows and widowers, but they don't seem like they're in mourning. Like not we, really. Uh, not really in mourning. We no. don't get the sense, like, they talk a little bit about Anne's mother, but we don't see, like, how that loss affected her, where... We see very clearly how that loss affects Anne in the book. Yeah. And, like, has shaped her whole life after it. Yeah. Her mother, who has, for some reason, also been renamed to Jane. Maybe that's a nod to Austin. Oh, is it really? I, <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't... Oh, I didn't realize that. <laughs> Sorry. Um, uh, okay. So, this the whole, whole setup goes really fast. We meet uh, Sir Walter and Elizabeth, and then and they're, like, enjoying their luxurious life, and then some Regency-era repo men come in, <laughs> and this one guy, like, I want to believe he had, like, a New York accent. He's like, <laughs> sorry, princess. That's the <laughs> direct quote. And he, like, takes, like, a cookie out of uh, Elizabeth's hands. <laughs> yeah, and then eats it. Yeah. Yeah, and then, you know... This is more like that's more Jane Austen Spaceballs that kind of scene. <laughs> yeah, and then if, and then like you know for some reason um, Anne is like gleefully watching her own house get repossessed, uh-huh. being like, "Ha my parent, my my family deserve this or whatever." All right, the next scene, uh, he's being advised by Mister Shepherd and uh, Lady, Lady Russell. Russell that they need to retrench and move out of Kelly and Shaw. This it's all moving really quick. I get it. You know they're just trying to get this story yeah, rolling. It's moving quick, and we're also going to try to move quick too. Uh, Lady Russell is introduced as an unflinching speaker of truth. Is that the Lady Russell we know from the book? <sighs> no, it's not. It's she's not an unflinching speaker of truth. She's an unflinching like royalist, maybe. You know, there's no sense of her the uh, Lady Russell who wants to protect Sir Walter's ego. Mm. No. Like, I don't know why they chose to say that. I think it's just because they're bad writers, I guess. Well, they're, again, it's just, it's just, it's the, like, they don't know what to do with the real persuasion characters, so they just, like, change them to make them fit the story that they want to tell. Here's the thing, like, Austin is great, like, we were saying this earlier, if you just looked at the broad strokes of all these characters, they could easily be tropes, right? Mm. Like, even Lady Russell, like, oh, sort of the fairy godmother, but she's, like, a little misguided sometimes. Yeah. But, like, Austin... And two evil stepsisters. Yeah. Austin just, like, imbues them with shades that makes them real characters. <laughs> like, the fact that Lady Russell is a royalist, that she wants to protect Sir Walter's ego, like, etc., etc., that maybe she has a little bit of a flame for Sir Walter... Like, that's at least a kind of implied in the book, right? Kind of, maybe. Well, the people are like, why haven't they ever gotten uh, married? Yeah, Which yeah, the movie yeah. jettisons. Right. But I think, like, the screenwriters are like, well, that's too hard to convey. Like, she's an unflinching teller of truth. Trope. Here she is. Like, now you know who she is. Right. There you go. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Then they're moving, I guess, right? Yep, yeah, moving. yeah. And this is where, well, this is where, um... And, oh, no, no, and then they talk about, well, so, okay, to fast forward it a little bit, they find out that the Admiral's wife is related to Wentworth, and then it cuts to um, Anne in her room, which is actually, like, a really pretty scene. I liked, I liked There's the- There's some nice sets here, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Best, the best thing I can say about the movie is that it looks gorgeous. <laughs> I think in the scene where Mr. Shepard, where Lady Russell's like, you have to retrench, and Mr. Shepard's like, you have to rent it out, I found Admiral Croft, he'll be a great tenant. Like, it all just smashes that into one scene. Which is fine, you uh-huh. know. Um, yeah, and then you find- <laughs> And he, and I'm sorry, I didn't interrupt you, but in that scene, he's like, 
And Mr. Croft's, uh, or Mrs. Croft's brother used to live here. What was his name? Wellington. And then Anne's like, Wentworth. And then Lady Russell and her meat eyes. And she's like, oh, darling. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh, darling. <laughs> Which, of course, never wouldn't happen in the book. No, book, Lady yeah. Russell would not speak of the, the history between Anne and Wentworth. But here it's like, she's like, oh, no, poor Anne. Uh-huh. Okay, and then we get to the scene you're talking about. Right. In Anne's room. Right, yeah. Where, um... Uh, sorry, just to add to that, like, after, after the O Wentworth, the topic immediately, then you can hear in the background, um, Sir Walter being like, will, will the, will the water and bath really do well and wonders for my skin or something like that? So I just thought that was like a nice little addition that like, okay, so moving on. No one cares about Anne actually. Sir Walter, I mean, they don't have to change him a lot. He's pretty straightforward. No, the, a Sir Walter type character is easily adapt, easily can be put into any type of um, story and uh-huh. not have to be changed much. Um, that being said, I do wish we got to see more of Richard E. Grant being Sir Walter. I want to hear him like talking about the horror shows of Bath and like Sir Basil and being shocked that this sailor is like. I want to see hear him like say these monologues. Kind right? Of, uh, yeah. Okay. Sorry. Uh, okay. Maybe he can do a one man show <laughs> as, uh, <laughs> as Sir, Sir Walter. Walter. Um, and then jump. Okay. So yes, jumps to. And crying in bed mm, in her room, yeah. Mrs. Sorry, Lady, Lady Russell, Russell comes in, yeah. and she's like, it's been, you know, seven years, and she's like, eight years or whatever. I can't remember what the years are now. Um, oh, I guess this is when, like, that montage of everything comes, according to my notes, of, like, her going through the box of memories and whatnot. Oh, oh yeah, that comes afterwards. Yeah, sorry, okay. we're getting a little mixed up here, but whatever. It doesn't yeah. matter. Like, clearly, like, they don't care about movie so we're not gonna care about the movie i mean here's a big difference from the novels that Anne and lady russell don't discuss this history between each other Mm. the fact like Anne is constantly thinking about wentworth but Mm. well not constantly she does her best to not constantly think about him right but she's not gonna have a conversation with lady russell Mm -mm. about like how you kind of maybe ruined my life right yeah and here for we get again another deviation which is that lady russell admits that she was wrong you know Lady Russell admits that, like, she, 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 not only, not only did they talk about it, but she was, like, something to the extent of, like, you know, like, how was I supposed to know that he was gonna, you know, like, he was gonna, you know, like, you were nice. Become rich, right? Become rich. Like, you were so young and all that shit, you know, all the, again, all of the unspoken things that drive the plot is the, is, like, all of the things that they don't say to each other. And here they are, you know. blabbering Uh, away about their past the past and it's like part of the reason Anne is so miserable is because she never got to she never got closure you know and we all know that like a one method of closure is talking things through and so like Anne talking things through with Lady Russell is just like it just diffuses the tension diffuses the it just diffuses the anxiety of like this unfinished business with Wentworth one of my least favorite things about literary adaptations is when characters blather subtext. <laughs> it's just lazy writing, which happens so much in this movie. It's lazy writing but, and maybe, to some extent, lazy directing. Like, a director should be able to to figure out how to convey tension without... How to convey thoughts without people blathering them out. Uh-huh. Well, two points here. I think they did their best to, like, scrub, like, every, every slightly problematic part of Lady Russell out of her character. Yeah. Why... Because well, it's out, a movie, I guess. I don't know why. They scrub yeah. out, like, 
any kind of nuance in any character. Uh, That's the problem with this, one of the many problems with this movie. Part two, though, is, and this is, like, throughout the movie, I think it's a fallacy of the modern age that we are, like, great communicators, right? That we are, we in the modern age discuss everything, and we are great at expressing our feelings. Yeah. Like, I... Maybe that's the case in your life. I don't... It's not what I see around me in the world, No, you know? people don't just... Yeah, no. People don't just, like, talk about their lives out loud to everyone, you know? We have interiority. Humans uh, have interiority. We yeah. don't... Yeah. Like, the idea of unsaid things is not, like, a relic from the Regency era. Yeah, nor is it anything, like, unusual in movie making. I, and I think the problem is, and a lot of this with the, like, bringing this subtext to the literal surface, having characters, like, say things that they never said in the book, is just that it drains, like, the tension out of all these scenes. Yeah, that's like, the thing. It's like, what, this whole hour and 49 minute movie is just watching tension slowly get, like, eased and watching, like, build up slowly become, like, um, like, less, like, built up and then as a result what are you left with you're left with no you're left with no climax you know you're left Uh like or rather when you reach the climax it's like well who cares like this isn't isn't anything new in the book there's a lot of tension between Anne and lady russell in the most normal scenes because they both have this thing in the back of their head that they're not talking about Mm -hmm. where in the movie if you're just like constantly discussing it then there's no tension anymore right they're besties now and also like it's like it's pathetic. It's sad and like a little like pathetic, but maybe speaks to like Anne's position in life that her only friend is this old lady, Lady Russell, mm-hmm. which is not. That's just not the case in the movie. No, she seems to be like gal pals with yeah. Louisa and Henrietta, uh-huh. which we'll see later on. Like she is, Anne is vivacious. She has things to do. She has friends. She um, is able to entertain herself. She has like a will to live. You know all these things that Anne Elliot in the book doesn't have. So, like, we have, it's hard to pity her and pity her when she's moping over this um, eight-year-old relationship when she has things to live for, when she has, like, other things going on in her life. Uh, yeah, the book drives home, like, why, like, it's understandable why she would be still, like, in the book, like, thinking about this romance from eight years ago because she's been stuck with her family without any change of environment or society for these eight years. Like, of course she's not going to get over it. Mm. You don't see that in the movie, so then it just seems like, well, like, why is she still so hung up on this guy? Why doesn't she just move on? Yeah, she clearly has, like, an ability to lift herself out of things, but so, like, why, why this guy, you know? Why isn't she getting out there more? I mean, there's a line that's, like, uh, the only way to get away from family is marriage and death, right? Mm-hmm. In the movie. Yeah. Which I think is there how they're trying to, like, explain this larger context of the book. But it's just kind of dashed off in a way that doesn't, like, really sit with you. I also kind of felt like that was just lazy writing. It's like, at this point, it's like, we're, we know, at this point, it's like, we're watching a Regency period movie. We know that, like, women have to get married. You know, like, that's like... That's not something that, like, you need to fight against, which Anne, for some reason, in this movie does. It's like, she says something to the extent, which this is later on, she says something to the extent of, like, why is it that people think women only want to be, um, want the attention of, like, an eligible bachelor? And it's like, because that's how they survive. Because that's how, that's just the name of the game back then. Like, it's not about, it's not about, like, men versus women or anything, like, any modern, like, uh, philosophy like that it's just about survival and so for like Anne Elliot to say that is just it's inherently it just inherently like chooses to like ignore 
the regions, the era that this movie takes place in, which is, again, another reason why I feel like the writers of this movie did not want to write Persuasion. Like, a person in the Regency time wouldn't ask that question. It'd be like, no, duh. Because that's, <laughs> like, that's how you, like, survive in life. Yeah, right? Uh, right. And I mean, that's why the, uh, well, that's one of the weird things about this movie, and it's a choice they're making, is that, like, these characters seemingly don't understand their own time period. Like, the time <laughs> that they've lived in their whole lives. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, just, like, the Anne Elliot of the book, like, shows she is defiant against the marriage system because she has held out for, like, romance this whole time. Because she didn't settle for Charles Musgrove. Because she didn't just marry someone who was convenient. Yeah. Which, which, yeah. Oh, no, I just wanted to say, which this Anne Elliot le- doesn't let people forget that she uh, could have gotten Charles Musgrove in the most egregious scene possibly in the whole movie. Okay. All right. Let's move on. So moving uh, on, um, then... Uh, what? So, like... Oh, right. Okay, so they're going to Bath with Mrs. Clay. Yes. And also, at one point, look, looking directly at the camera, says, I don't think Mrs. Clay is my father's type. Mm-hmm. Totally erasing all the misgivings Anne had about how a, uh, yeah. pleasing manner can overcome, like, any yeah. sort of appearance. Well, there's, like, yeah, because that's proof of, like, Anne's inner strength is her ability to read people in the room despite the people well maybe maybe also like because people are ignoring her she's like she knows mrs clay is up to no good and so that's why she warns elizabeth about it in the book but here it's like oh anne is the one who's like my father would never go for mrs clay yeah why i don't know why they, they needed Mrs. Clay for certain plot elements. I'm sorry to interrupt no, you. Yeah, no, go for it. But uh, I don't think they really cared about, like, her narrative. Like, she's kind of just, like, thrown in there. Like, they couldn't cut her because of how she is, you know, part of the Mr. Elliot plot. Right. But it doesn't really feel like they're at all invested in, like, the Mrs. Clay story. No. I also feel like reading, I mean, well, maybe this is just a, a symptom of a larger thing, but reading about Mrs. Clay and reading about her ambitions felt a lot more dangerous and like put actually potentially a serious danger than what happens in the movie, which is like, like, it's almost like you're, you're supposed to believe Anne when she says that like, there is actually no danger there, which then like c- runs con- totally counter to when Mr. Elliot shows up. Because that's the only reason Mr. Elliot shows up is because of Mrs. Clay. Yeah, that's a good point. Mr. Elliot, we're getting ahead of ourselves now. This actually would have been a good moment for Anne to just explain to the camera. Like, if we're going to explain, you know, if we're going to use that device, then use it to explain the mores of society. Mm. But, like, this is there's a scene where Mr. Elliot tells Anne, like, hey, come over here. Like, I'm here to stop Mr. Elliot, for, I'm here to stop Sir Walter from marrying Mrs. Clay because then she might have his son and then I won't get the estate. Like, and this is ridiculous that he would say this to Anne. She would obviously get this already. Yeah, Anne is his daughter. But you also, know? like, this contradicts what, like, wouldn't Anne be like, well, I don't think she's his type? Like, right. <laughs> like what, how she says in the beginning of the movie. Yeah, like, there's, yeah, there's just some wires that got crossed there, which, or just, they just did they just didn't even look at the script after they finished writing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, it's a shoddy script. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> Okay. okay, all right, all right. So, weirdly enough, Anne is the one who meets the Crofts at uh, yeah, Kelly and she gets so, all settled here. Right, but, so yeah. Elizabeth and Sir Walter, they pack up and leave. There's a kind of a funny scene, or what, like, or maybe attempt at a funny scene, where as they're leaving, they're ordering Anne around as if she's like the 
the head maid of the house. I guess this is us being shown that she's afflicted by her family. Right, yeah. And then, so, yeah, for some reason, once they leave, and we know Anne gets left behind because she's going to, oh, that's also something else that gets skipped, is that she doesn't go with um, Mrs. Rus- Lady, Lady Russell. Russell. She just goes directly to Upper Cross. I mean, I get why they cut that. Yeah, because yeah. it barely happened mm-hmm. in the book, too. Anyway, um, so, yeah, somehow, for some reason, she's the one who was, like, the host of um, the Crofts coming to uh Kellynch Hall to view the grounds or whatever. It's weird. It's like now she's playing like she's playing host. Or? Well, as we remember in the book, she didn't want to see Mrs. Croft because she's trying to avoid like yeah. situations related to uh Wentworth. But she doesn't really seem to be trying to re- avoid Wentworth all that much in this movie at any point. No. I mean, she's a little surprised when um in the movie when Mrs. Croft says he's coming and she goes like, "What?" But like that's about it. They say that, yeah, of course, Admiral Croft is calling uh, Anne Anne in this scene, using mm, her first name. Lovely. Highly improprietous, but, uh, yeah. Even in, improprietous even for, let's say, a lowly seaman. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> in this scene is when it's revealed that Mr. Wentworth is coming to visit. Uh, Captain Wentworth, yes. rather, is coming to visit. Coming to town. Uh-huh. Uh, also getting ahead of ourselves, but indication that Anne is not trying to avoid Wentworth at all in this movie. Mm. She literally yells his name like across from the cottage to the great house. That's right. I guess they're within shouting distance, and like he looks over at her. Yeah, no, that was that wasn't that was a weird um, scene. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Okay, all right. So she welcomes the Crofts. Uh, also, before the Crofts showed up. Uh, Elizabeth is like, hey, Anne, you're not coming with us. And Anne's like, oh, no. And she get, and Elizabeth gives Anne this letter from Mary that's like, I need you here, yeah. right? Uh-huh. I did like the addition of the frowny face in the letter. That was kind of a, a nice touch. I do, we're going to get into it more, but I like Mary. Let's get into Mary now, because okay. she's about to be introduced. Yes. But yeah, Anne go ahead, go goes ahead. To, well, okay, Anne has this whole walk and talk to the camera where she, as she's walking into Uppercross Lodge, she gives us like, um, this, like, rundown of what Mary's personality is like, and it comes across as mean. Like, I know it's, it's, I know what they were trying to do, but she's just, like, talking about her sister like she's a, like, a three, like, a dog or something. She's like, Mary is X, Y, and Z, and she's gonna do X, Y, and Z, and then she goes into the scene, and Mary does all the things that Anne said, and she's, like, putting her fingers up as she does it. Yeah. First of all, that's, I'm sorry, that's bad writing. I hate being, like, I hate, a, like, that's not good. That is not good writing when a character looks directly at the camera and is like, here's what this character is like, and mm-hmm. here's what this character does, and then we watch it. Like, good writing is just letting us see how a character acts. Exactly. But yeah. whatever. I think the character, the actor who plays Mary, does do a good job. No, I like her. She, um, as far as, you know, adapting characters to fit modern conventions, I think... If the things that she was, if the lines that she was fed were not great, she at least delivered them really well. I mean, and she comes off as very young, which I do appreciate this choice. She's like a petulant teenager who's been thrust kind of into this role of wife and mother. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Which I think is a good read on Mary, even if for that reason Anne's like... I don't know, her her quips about Mary come off all the more mean, right? Yeah, especially if we... um, I mean, we as we as we as readers know. Sorry, guys. If you hear shaking, that's a, a dog in the background. Um, we as readers know that um, um, Charles p- proposed to uh, Mar- uh, Anne first, but then we'll also find out later in the movie when Anne blurts it out at the dinner table. Um, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So yes, we meet 
Mary, she is lying on the settee or something. And to say Mary's a total narcissist, which is... <laughs> all right, whatever. <laughs> okay, yeah, all right. right. And then, um, so... And then um, in comes in Louisa and uh, Henrietta. Yeah, yeah. And they're Ooh, like... They, like, hug Anne. They yeah, all get along really like, well. Ah! And then, uh, like, Anne also seems to enjoy their company. They, they're, they like, they're hugging, like, long, long-lost friends or whatever. This is a uh, very deliberate change that they make, and close friends with Henrietta and Louisa, particularly Louisa. Yeah, no, Louisa isn't dragging a harp <laughs> into the Great Hall as her, for, as her intro. They are no longer, like, the silly, like, I don't know, ditzy kind of sisters, older no. sisters of the Musgrove house. I don't know what their character is supposed to be now, but it's just, like, generally good, I guess. Yeah, they're supposed to, yeah, be very, like, like, I don't know. Like, yeah, they're nice They're nice girls, they get along, they're good sisters, and they treat Anne well, and they actually seem to care about her, which we'll see later. Louisa actually does care about Anne's feelings and all of that, um, which is nice, I guess. And also, <laughs> it just, like, detracts from the Anne as the the forgotten one, the forgotten person in this, like, community. Exactly. Like, she is not here no, anymore. they love her, yeah. yeah. They actually genuinely, I think, love her as a, as a cousin, you know? And then Mary's children come in, and they're so excited to see Anne, they tackle her to the floor, which is... <laughs> that's not pleasant. I'm sorry. No one wants to be tackled to the floor by children, no. even if they're excited. I understand that, like, when I'm sure when... <laughs> this is just gonna be all presumption. It's just gonna be us shitting on the writers. Sorry, guys. But, like... Presumably, when they've read Persuasion, they're like, oh, Anne's good with children. We'll make her love children and play tackle with, and tackle the children and, I don't know, pick them up and tickle them and all that shit. And it's like, no, that's not what Anne would do. Uh, Anne loves children, but she's not going to, like... Rough house. With yeah. Them. Here's... There, I feel like there's... I'm obviously not qualified to speak on this, but I feel like there's several small things that would annoy Austin more than any other, like, larger choices. And I think this is one of them. Austin did not care for unruly children. I'm sorry. <laughs> that was, she was not a fan of them. If anything, they're an object of scorn. And, yeah. like, one of Wentworth's great gallant moments in the book, which is totally ruined in the movie, is when he, like you know picks a child up off of who's trying to like climb up on Anne. he just like scoops him off of her right yeah right that was like her his one um gesture of mercy slash like you know love uh -huh. <laughs> but and gallantry. and gallantry and it all has to do with putting a child in line and hey come on yeah. that's a good thing for austin and children should be in line <laughs> children should behave sorry people that's tom speaking <laughs> yeah. children should behave <laughs> yeah so then okay it flash forward kind of it oh, skips ahead what? i think it also implies that mary knows about yes Anne's history with wentworth yes because yeah. louisa henrietta bring news that wentworth is coming to the great house and then mary gives Anne a look which is so i guess everyone just fucking knows everything because also it later implies that wentworth also might have told his uh his sea, fellow seamen about I'm just gonna keep saying seamen <laughs> about about Anne, which is like definitely not something Captain Wentworth would would do. Um, yeah, I I don't know why. Yeah, like Mary wasn't even there for any of it, but whatever. Right, that's not part of the movie. Right, and so it, it another deviation with Louisa is that Louisa seems to be like you know Team Anne plus Wentworth because she's like, you know, like. Oh, what, what did they say? They get a scene together, yeah. Louisa and, and Anne, and she asks, why aren't you married yet? Right. And she's like, oh, I hear Wentworth's charming. Maybe I should set you two up. Exactly, right. right. Uh, of course, un with the dramatic irony of, like, not knowing their history. I don't know why they made this choice to, like, make 
Anne and Louisa like best buds. I think... Or to, like, honestly make Louisa seemingly a better person than Anne. Anne, yeah, yeah. She does. You root for Louisa more than <laughs> Anne. Yeah. Um... I guess it's because they wanted to show female friendship, maybe. Yeah. But then maybe. they should have just like done it. Like I think that's one of my problems with this movie is like go ahead and change it, but then don't try to be so like don't try to still hit all the points of the story. You yeah. know, just like change the story if that's what you're gonna do. Right. Also, persuasion is. I'm sorry. They're not. It's not about female friendship. There are no friend. There are no friend on. There are no. There's no f- female and female who are like friends with each other. Like you know who are like let's say of this of the same age. Except, I guess, Anna and Mrs. Smith, who doesn't even fucking Mrs. exist Smith, who, in the freaking movie. Mrs. Smith, who gets cut. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh my uh-huh. gosh, sorry. Well, Austin does care about friendship, but when she writes it, like, it's, like, a real, like, you you actually believe the relationship, and there's actually, like, time invested into yeah. it. Yeah. Like, this is not, uh, like... It's not Elizabeth and Charlotte from Pride and Prejudice. Or Elizabeth and Jane. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Eliz- you, no. Yeah, yeah. Louisa and Henrietta are close, but they're not... Um, they're still bickering. They're still like rivals in the in the book, but in the movie, they're more like friendly with each other and more like sisterly. Yeah, Charles Hayter is also cut out for the most part, for the except most for part. one brief glimpse. Yeah, but this is actually the one scene that Anna and Louisa really have together. Mm. So that's pretty much abandoned. But anyway, this scene is then interrupted by the fall of Mary's child, right? Yeah. Uh huh. And right. and then for this reason, we don't get to see Anne like being strong and mary freaking out over this Mm. we then just cut to the young charles i believe it's young charles in the book right or is it It, walter oh i I think it's walter it's walter okay young walter musgrove they just you know it's the same plot device in the book Anne has to stay behind and watch him and so she can't go to dinner with wentworth right but as we remember as we remember in the book Anne like volunteers to stay behind because she doesn't want to be around wentworth right even or, though yeah. yeah right but like you're to your point like in this case it's like Anne begrudgingly offers to watch walter it's kind of just like thrust upon her yeah and then this is we get the scene where Anne. so i guess in this movie the cottage and the great house are like, next, like, like, right within, next to each other. Literally yeah. within shouting distance. Uh, and Anne is looking out the window at Wentworth, and then she's like, hey, <laughs> and then ducks out of the window, which is just like, I don't know, pure, like, quirk. Like, I'm uh, sorry, yeah, but like, schlock. if if I saw a 27-year-old woman do that, I think there was something wrong with her. She does act, like, weirdly immature. Yeah, I guess because maybe she's just been confined to her house this whole time. I feel like this movie is out of date in a lot of ways, and one of the ways is is that like it still kind of subscribes to this. I feel like it's it's written by someone who lives now, but thinks that like everything from two thousand five is still popular. Right, we get that five and ten joke in the in the breakfast scene with Mrs. Clay and right. Well, what is it? Tell us that that infamous Uh um, joke where it's like they say you're if you're a they say if you're a five in London, you're a ten at Bath. Uh-huh. And then Elizabeth says, Anne, that makes you a six in Bath or something like that. Mrs. Clay says it here. Oh, I think Elizabeth says no, it. No, Mrs. Clay says if you're a five in London, then you're a ten in Bath. Yeah. And, and that then, makes you, and then she says that makes you and Elizabeth Sir Walter like 13. Yeah, right. right. Uh, something like that. And then I think Elizabeth says what, right? That to makes, Anne. Yeah. To Anne, like, oh, that makes you a six or something like that. Um, which I'm like... 30 Rock made that joke 20 years ago, okay? And it was a it was a better joke back then because in in 30 Rock it was like Jenna goes, "Listen up, fives, a tennis speaking." 
hilarious. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay, so to that point, I think that, like, these writers are stuck in 2005, a time when, like, <laughs> Elizabeth Town came out, a time when these movies were coming out where it's just like, you know, female lead, like, what's her personality? She does weird and quirky things, right? Like, she yells, she says inappropriate things, she yells out windows, she likes to, like, drink I don't a lot know, of wine. drink a lot of wine, right? And put jam on her face, uh, and all that stuff. It's all, like, things real humans do. It doesn't equal a character, but this is, like, a sort of mindset of, like, screenwriters from a certain time yeah. period. It's like, how do you make a woman interesting? Well, just give her a lot of quirks, right? Yeah, make her, like, not like other girls, uh-huh. you know? Um... Yeah. Oh, and then um, the next day... Um, I think she also tells the camera, if only I could talk to Wentworth. Oh, yeah, that's Then right. she yells out the window at him, because I'm reading out off my notes, and then she, like, ducks down and spills wine all over her head. Just, like, that's just humiliation <laughs> at this point. Yeah. That's, like, yeah. That's just self-induced humiliation. Like, she's doing... She, these are all unforced errors on Anne's part. Like, Anne is, like, you know, she's not humiliated in the book, but, like... The source of, like, her indignity comes from the way other characters treat her, not from the way she behaves herself. Right. Yeah, right. Except this, yeah, like, in the movie, it's all her. She's she's the one make, embarrassing herself. Uh, yeah, I have in my notes here, Anne is a clown, two question marks. <laughs> <laughs> Anne equals clown? Yeah. <laughs> oh, and then, okay, so what what's the next thing Yeah, here? in uh-huh. a true clownage, the next morning, they're eating breakfast, and Anne... In, I guess, this, again, we're just going to keep saying quirky, yeah. in this, you know, quirky move decides to throw bread out of the bread basket. Well, what are you, why is she doing it? What is she doing? Oh, uh, because she's impersonating um, a naval officer? Yeah, like Captain Wentworth. Yeah, essentially, essentially yeah, she's, uh-huh, she's impersonating yeah. Captain Wentworth, so she puts um, the bread on basket on her head. She tosses the bread out of the basket onto the floor, assumingly. I think yeah. it was on the table. Okay. Give her some credit. <laughs> okay. I think she does make a telescope out of a piece of bread and yeah, she, throw it on the floor. She's Yeah, you're right, she does. She <laughs> smushes up a piece of bread, pretends it's a telescope, smears jam on her top lip, and pretends it's a mustache. Which, uh, they had mustaches in the army, not the navy, I'm sorry. I think Whoa. someone does correct her now on that. that. I think tr- Charles corrects her, but oh, does, yeah. Did he actually? I think he says they don't have mustaches in the navy. Oh, that's but, funny. Yeah. Is that the one, like, trivia fact that a writer found out about Regency era? And then they just <laughs> put it in this movie? Um, oh my god, I feel like I'm gonna get... Sorry to the writers, but I just, I, I don't... Okay, whatever. One of these writers wrote Rain Man, which is... <laughs> I do well, not think that's not off. a movie that ages well, oh uh, I don't think, yeah. Yeah, is it fair to say that maybe, like, Dustin Hoffman's character... Sorry, guys, that's the talk in the background again. That Rain Man, or sorry, Dustin Hoffman's character is not very very far from dakota johnson <laughs> i think his the characterization is about as sophisticated about sophisticated uh, yeah all right um okay but anyway so she is imitating captain wentworth to like entertain the children she mm. puts this bread basket on her head she smears like jam on her face and that's when of course, of course. captain wentworth walks in yeah uh-huh. and he's talking about himself in the third person when he walks in and he's like oh captain wentworth is just as handsome as blah 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 or something like that like Anne is impersonating captain wentworth right no i think he comes in and he takes over her monologue oh i see and talks i think about himself in a bit a bit and then they have this most egregious offensive um like i don't know conversation i don't even know what to call it an argument i don't know i was so distracted by the the table manners (laughs) i think this this is another moment and i think maybe more than any other moment that would bother austin if she could see this movie which is those table manners she would not she would not like 
Austin would be a like disgusted. She would be like totally turned off to see someone do that at a table. If yeah, if Austin were watching this movie, everything else in the movie perhaps she can live with, but uh-huh. that those table manners no, is that's what not, yeah. that's what's gonna stop her heart right uh-huh. there. <laughs> that is not gonna fly. Uh huh. Yeah. No. I think yeah. Then we get just like a classic scene where they're blathering yeah. subtext. If you guys right? have watched uh-huh. the trailer, it's in the fucking trailer, and it's just as cringy as it is in the trailer. Where they're like, and that's another, okay, well, we've already, you know, hammered this home too, but like, Wentworth would not treat Anne this, or Wentworth does not treat Anne this way in the book. He is trying to avoid her and ignore her, pretend she doesn't exist any time she's around. And here he is like, making conversation with her, going out of his way to make conversation with her. And clearly, clearly still, ha- you know, having, like, you know, heart-shaped eyes at him, you know, at her. Like, clearly still in love with her. No, the Wentworth of the book, as I remember, one of my favorite lines is, he has a heart open for anyone excepting Anne Elliot. Mm. Like, Wentworth of, like, maybe Anne of the book is still carrying a torch, but the Wentworth of the book is like, I am over this, you know, I am here for anyone other than her. I am right? here to uh-huh. find a wife, Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, just to harp more on that table, those table manners. Like, <laughs> if, like, a human being did that in real life, I'd be like, what's wrong with you, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah seriously, yeah. imagine having breakfast, and then all of a sudden someone, like, spills out all the bread out of a bag and then pretends it's, like, a hat, Even know? for, like, the entertainment of children. Mm-mm, no, get out of my kitchen. Okay, yeah, I guess that was also, I have that written down as a note also, Wentworth still into Anne, question mark? He's yeah. still obviously in love with her, and then that's further demonstrated in the next scene in the great hot house where they all have dinner um where louisa lovely louisa is that that should be her name lovely louisa is trying to play matchmaker between ann and wentworth and it's and ann is obviously like not doing that um but wentworth is obviously like still staring at her across this like candle lit room um just another Another instance of just, like, not getting Wentworth right, either. How do you... Let's talk about Wentworth a little okay. bit. As played by Cosmo Jarvis. Yes. What are, you, what are your some, some thoughts on this characterization of Wentworth? I mean, I feel like you find him more egregious than I do. <laughs> okay, well, I, ahead, I didn't even ahead. notice uh, some of this thing, the, the things that you mentioned until you mentioned them, but I, he doesn't carry himself with the authority that, a, like that I, A, imagine Captain Wentworth would have, and B, any, that any naval captain would have. He's coming around, walking around like a, like a farmer, kind of, just like, kind of like, does not carry himself with much confidence or dignity, just kind of like looks lost or, I don't know, honestly, and not quite as like, maybe handsome as I imagine Wentworth would be, like, I don't know, like him with his, his scruff and his, like I know it was a it was a specific deci- it was a decision to make him look scruffy and like weather beaten and all that which is fine but then like it just doesn't quite it just doesn't quite carry he just doesn't have the air that I imagine a Wentworth would have that Captain Wentworth would have and that's all I have to say about that. Wentworth of the book, like, would command a room. He's this man who, like, exudes confidence, right? Yeah, like, he, he basically has willed his own, like, fortune into being. He's a yeah. war hero. He's yeah. a decorated war hero who has a lot of money now, you know, and he's been written about in the newspapers. Like, he should be, like, a walking, talking celebrity, honestly. He should be the celebrity, uh, He should be, yeah, yeah, exactly. He's, like, the celebrity of this scene that everyone, like, gravitates to. That is what Wentworth's character is. Right. He's not just, like... 
oh, you know, I'm just happy to be here, which I think is the vibe I got from him in this scene. He's just like, I'm just happy to be here. I, I just feel like this is a lifeless Wentworth, kind of. <laughs> I, I said this in the movie. They did, like, give him, like, a reddish complexion. And, like, the way he carries himself and the way he, like, talks and behaves, it all just made me kind of, like, look at him as if he's perpetually hungover. <laughs> like, he's hungover and he's, like, suppressing, like, belches. <laughs> yeah, like he's That's how he talks, too. <laughs> I know. He's, he talks a little bit, like, like he's got just, like, a, like a ball of air in his, like, esophagus ready to come out. At the end of, every, like, every scene, I was ready for him to just, like, start burping under his breath. <laughs> <laughs> no it is it is certainly a, it must have been a choice i think he was going for like a deep kind of like puffed out chest voice but <laughs> it comes out as like <laughs> like that maybe he needed to like an alka-seltzer <laughs> i feel like he was almost doing a sort of colin firth as darcy uh, but that wentworth is like the total opposite of darcy no, Wentworth is not Darcy. Wentworth is a charmer. Well, not charmer, per se. He but climbed his way up through the ranks, yeah. Yeah. But mm. I, do you get... Did you also get that sense? I feel like he carries himself in, like, that kind of restrained, like, Colin Firth almost sort of way. Well, maybe maybe the fact that I thought he was both um, carrying himself not consequentially enough and then sometimes too consequentially maybe makes me think there was just some... It was just maybe an inconsistent acting... It's probably um, it's probably not entirely this actor's <laughs> fault. I, I, don't, I mean, to your to your point, he also just kind of I think ha- has this like at least in the movie had this like glazed over look where he wasn't quite focusing on the person he's speaking <laughs> to. Yeah, <laughs> maybe I don't know. Maybe that's it. It just <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't think they knew. I don't think anyone in this movie knew what they wanted to do with Wentworth. Wentworth is a tricky character because like you know he's incredibly charming he is like a sincere romantic character he's got to be Anne's like soulmate but at the same time he can be kind of silly he can be kind of ridiculous you know he can be kind of like callous in ways i don't see like this is not the kind of guy that i think was ambitious and had all these like harebrained schemes of getting because of joining the art navy and getting rich and then having the willpower to make that actually happen yeah. like that's not the vibe i got from this portrayal i don't see this as a man and maybe he like has i don't see this as a man <laughs> <laughs> that's not the end of the sentence but <laughs> maybe he has like ptsd i don't know and this is like uh, how he reacts to it but i don't see this as a man who just like came back from war i don't know I mean, the part of the conceit of the book is like, now I'm done with war and I'm ready to conquer some hearts, kind of, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, but Wentworth is tricky, because he also has to do that thing where you're like, you are playing the happy middle of like, someone who is newly rich, who might not know all the social conventions and all of that, but also someone who is like, still, you know, is has composure and maintains a, an air of dignity about him. Uh, like, so yeah. it is. it is tricky, but... I don't think this was it. They didn't pull it off. No. Yeah. Uh. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Well, so to go back into the scene, then then in another uh, twist, Wentworth starts openly talking about his past heartbreak and how he went off to war because of a woman. Mm-hmm. He says this to Louisa. So they're all in the great house having dinner now. Yeah. Mr. and Mrs. Musgrove have like show up in the background, but essentially have no lines. I think. Mm-mm. Um, and this is the scene. So, okay, so he's talking to Louisa about how, uh, 
he left, he, like, left to go out fight in war mm-hmm. because he was trying to escape, like, a woman from his past, a right? Home in his and, heart. And what is uh, Anne Elliot of the movie doing this scene? She drunkenly, like, really drunk, like, barely getting either drunk or nervous, but I think more drunk than nervous, um, just blurts out that Charles Musgrove proposed to her first! This is how this information is revealed in the movie. Yeah, that was my reenactment of uh, yeah. the scene. <laughs> but yeah, like in an act that would um, would you know I feel like offend not just you know Regency era people, but like in twenty twenty two any any time any time in the history and the present, if you blurted out that your sister's husband proposed to you too at a dinner table in front of your sister's in laws and your ex boyfriend, that is like not cool man i mean i think this is if it wasn't already a man clearly manifold manifold clear before like this is not the Anne Elliot of the book the Anne Elliot of the book like would like hate this person would think that the Anne Elliot of this movie is like a terrible person and not want to be associated with her at all no this like, Anne Elliot is an a character that jane austen would write as a complete as a completely miserable, disastrous person. I don't think Austin would write such a no, bad character. No, she wouldn't even. But if a character like this did show up in the book, in one of her books, she would either be, like, a villain or just, like, totally ridiculous. Right. Yeah. Like, that is... That's bad etiquette. Like you said, that's... I would not want to be around someone in real life who shouted out, like, these, like, painful things mm. from our past, like, in front of all of my friends and family, yeah. right? But hey, she's quirky like that. Well, the weird thing is that everyone in the scene kind of reacts fine to it. They're like, oh, yeah, it's true, you know? I know, but that's just, well, that's just bad writing, because human beings don't behave that way. Any, it's, in any situation, that's not how human beings would react to an announcement like that. They, the way they, like, treat it's almost like, oh, Anne Elliot is just, like, a drunk who, like, is, like, the family embarrassment, but what are we gonna do, you know? We tolerate her. It's like, you know what? You know what she's behaving like? Poor Dick Musgrove. Oh, yeah, Dick Musgrove gets cut out of this completely, yeah. by the way. She's, not that that's any surprise. She's but. acting like how Dick Musgrove probably behaved. Unmanageable and sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a thick-headed Dick Musgrove. Is yeah, he Anne Elliot in this moment. Hey, that's dark. Now, that's true darkness. Like, the, the cutting things that Austin as the third person says about, like, the Musgrove's dead son. Mm, right. Yeah. But the movie can't, I don't know. The, mo- <laughs> the, the movie can't handle that level of darkness. But I do think that that's probably, that's just a scene that question, makes, like, a viewer question, like, whether, like, there's any real humanity in this movie. <laughs> like, especially in this character of Anne. That is a great question. No one in this movie behaves like a human being. Yeah. They all behave like, like you said, tropes. But, like, even human beings can exhibit, um behaviors like tropes well that's where tropes come from is is human behavior but like these are like just like whittled down like like shells of humans just being like puppets on a state on a stage you know this Anne elliot the Anne elliot who blurts out hey charles proposed to me first is like a sloppy alcoholic who is desperate <laughs> for attention and that is obviously not the truth. <laughs> I mean, if that's the story you want to tell, like, go for it. Yeah. But that's not even the Anne that this movie wants you... Like, the movie doesn't want you to think about Anne this way. Right. That's just how she behaves. Like, I guess that's just chalk that up to bad writing. I don't know what they're trying to convey in this scene. Yeah, who's looking at this scene right now and being like, this is the hero of the story. Right. <laughs> it's just like, look at me, you know. <laughs> I'm important too. 
Right. Well, the next morning she is hungover, mm-hmm. um, and uh, she says the we're worse than. Sorry, wait, no, we're. Oh, she had that whole line about blah blah blah. How two hearts were never more in sync, or all that nonsense. And then she goes, "And now we're exes." I think she also yells like "Love me" at one point. Yeah, she because he she she sees him out the window, and she's like, "Love me!" Uh Like she cries into her pillow, like a. I don't know, like like you said, like she thinks she like is acting like she's the main character of her story, you know? She's acting out these things that just, like, no human being would act out. This is like if Anne Hathaway from Rachel at the Wedding was transposed into... Rachel getting married, getting married sorry. <laughs> was transposed into Persuasion. Well, that's a little offensive to Anne Hathaway. I think that was a knockout performance. Well, it's Rachel a good performance from her, but, like, like if we were to treat this character seriously, ah. that's what, like, that's kind of the character, like, that's... Oh, yeah. This behavior makes me think of that character as, like, a toxic alcoholic who, like, is a burden on her family, <laughs> right? Right, right. Everything has to be about her. Uh-huh. It's so weird. Everything has to be about Anne, you know? It's like... Well, that's the thing. It's just, like, in Persuasion, you're reading it, the book, and you're like... Who is the main character? It's like it's like Anne barely even shows up for the first half of the book, but then it's like in this movie, it's like she is the whiny one. She is the squeaky wheel that gets the grease because she is super. She's like just as whiny as her uh, as Mary, uh, and I almost like side with Elizabeth because I wouldn't want to hang out with Anne either. <laughs> yeah, I'd rather hang out with Mrs. Clay. Yeah, <laughs> I'd rather really hang out with Mary. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. So, so and then, then yeah, we, I think we get the scene the next morning where like Mary's complaining more to Anne, right? About how she's like, I don't know. I know this. There's at least in my notes, what follows this is the scene where Anne asks Mary, "Where are your children?" That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Um. She. She. Yeah. She has that biting remark about like, "Where are your children?" and. Oh, and then the children show up, and then they go to they go to the forest to play tag or catch or whatever. Well, here's another thing that would have really boss- bothered Austin. They're like uh, Anne's little game with the uh, Musgrove children is uh, I'm Marie Antoinette, uh, and you're like the French revolutionaries, I guess, I right? Guess so. Yeah, so, yeah. So they continue this game out in the woods where she's like. I'm Marie Antoinette, you know, come and get me. And then she's, like, yelling, Viva the Revolution! And, like, I I, I think this would really bother yeah. Austin also. The kids, yeah, yeah they, uh, they say Viva la Revolution, and then... Okay, while, while England is at war with we, Napoleonic France... England uh, is currently yeah, at yeah, war, yeah. yeah. And let us not forget... Total side note, but the French Revolution ended in a dictatorship that's, you know, that is Napoleon, right? So, there we go. Yeah, Yeah. so it's not, yeah. It's not funny. (laughs) It's not funny. (laughs) Okay, but anyway, so, while she's playing with the kids, they, like, jokingly tackle her again because everyone loves to be tackled by children. (laughs) And when we're thinking that, like, Well, this time, she's, they're actually, like, hitting her pretty hard. She does tell them to, like, cut it out. I guess so. Does she? She does, yeah, she does. And I, because I was also like, well, because in my head when I saw this, I was like, you did this to yourself, honey. Like, you're the ones who told them to attack you. So... Yeah, then they're just like beating her with their toy swords, and then he, you know, grabs two, one each, two, both of them, one under each arm, like they're like bags of sand, and then just like hauls them away. <laughs> Which is so much weaker than the scene in the book that that scene adapts. Yeah. Which, what we talked about earlier, you know. 
Anne is, like, trying to attend to the sick child who fell. I guess that, the child who fell is fine already. Maybe he's wearing a sling or something. I think he's wearing a yeah, sling. Yeah, yeah. But she's trying to attend to the sick child. The Another child is climbing all over her. Mm-hmm. Charles Hader is there, ineffectually telling the boy, like, hey, listen to your cousin Charles. Like, stop bothering Anne. And then Wentworth just, like, scoops swoops in and, like, scoops him off her, right? Right, right. And, yeah, and the difference between that and here is that Wentworth does this in front of people. You know, Wentworth um, shows his... He, he does this act of, um, what was it, um, gallantry yeah. in front of people. Uh-huh. Here, it's just, like, it's just in the woods with the two of them, which is also another, another thing, another, like, uh, crime that this movie commits is that Anne and Wentworth, the, the tension throughout the book is that they never speak to each other, really. They never are in a room with just the two of them. They never just have a one-on-one conversation. But in the movie, they have one-on-one conversations all the time, thereby, you know, like, knocking out all of the wind of the sails of the, of you know, the, the Anne and Wentworth. Like, when will they finally talk to each other tension, you know? And this, this, so this happens in the woods right after he, like, quote-unquote, rescues her. They have a conversation where, like, well, let's bring up the past, right? Right. Uh, let's talk it out, which uh, would never happen. I just think that's, like, it's more of, like, the screenwriters being, like, you know, what do people do? Like, 21st century audiences, they talk about stuff, right? <laughs> they endlessly agonize over everything. Like, they wouldn't, like, leave a subject left, like, not talked about. I think that's what the writers were thinking. Like, that's why we can't let it stand. Like, the, the lack of communication between between Anne and Wentworth. Yeah. Which I just, I think it's a fallacy. No. I, yeah. You think, you think you're gonna like, if you see your ex in a room or at a party, you think you're gonna like go up to him and be like, so how are things? You know, like that's- Or like, let's talk about our breakup, right? Yeah, yeah. let's talk about our breakup. Yeah, yeah, eight, yeah. from eight yeah. years ago. Hey, remember when we- From eight years ago. Yeah, yeah, right. Like that's, it's just, yeah, like you like you said, like it's, it's this fallacy to think that like people now just talk things out more than they used to. It's like maybe to some extent it's true, but it's like that's not the um, that's not the this default is uh, that we, it's not that's not the default is that we just talk more about our feelings. I think that's one of the things that they went into this movie like being like we have to throw this out. We have to throw out the reticence. I I think I'm I can tell like how the movie from how the movie turned out. It's just yeah. so stupid. All all they could have done was just have him walk away and then you cut to the next scene. That would have been great because that would have that would have you know, built tension. It uh-huh. would have been like she would she wanted to say something. Maybe he wanted to say something, but too late, he's gone. Done. That's yeah. it. That's all you need to drive the um, the viewer to keep watching and be like, when are they going to finally talk to each right. other? You know, they had this moment and now they can't. There's just like, I'm not even a freaking movie maker, but I feel like this would have been a much better scene if they just didn't talk to yeah. each other. Well, the tension is there. Austin created it already. Yeah, you it's know? almost like the, the director yeah. or the writer or whomever like, decided this was like, ah, uh, this is too awkward. We have to have them talk to each other. And it's like, no, the awkwardness is good. The awkwardness is good. The, is, it's, it's a real feeling. It's a real ugly feeling that drives the movie. Right. And that's why this is the difference between, like, good cringe comedy, which is what the novel does, and bad cringe comedy. <laughs> good cringe comedy is, like, two people who have, like, this awkward, like this painful past, like, being forced to, like, share moments together and neither one wanting to say anything about it. Bad cringe comedy is... And blurting out, hey, Charles proposed to me first. Bad cringe comedy is just over-explaining everything. Uh It's just saying awkward things. It's like The Office, kind of, you know, whatever. That's what they do. But it's not like Jane Austen. It's (laughs) It's not refined in the same way as Persuasion. Right, right. 
Okay. Um, and then, um... The but girl- yeah, like you said, that just it just drains the tension. It also, like, makes you... You, like, you don't think these characters have interiority, like, when they, like, say everything that could possibly be on their mind. Right. I also just, you know, unsaid things are sexy, you know? Unsaid, you know, looks between people without saying words is sexy, mm. and it's, like, it's charged. Right. And that's another thing, it's just that, like, I don't feel any kind of energy between this Anne and this Wentworth. Oh, they don't have chemistry. It's because they talk to each other yeah. too much. There has yeah, to be yeah. there has to be looks. There has to be, you know, things unspoken. You know, there has to be like what might have been moments, but there's none of that. Because they all all they do is talk to each other. They should be sharing like a they're like both on a they're a, you know, they share this deeper level than everyone else, but they can't acknowledge it to each other. That's what a lot of like the tension and like the sexiness mm. and the romance of the book comes from. Yeah, yeah. This I think, and this is a larger problem with the movie that we'll talk about more, but it's just that it fails to deliver on the romance, in my opinion. What, what do you think? No, I agree. It's... <laughs> Maybe it even has something to do with, like, this oversaturation of all of these scenes, but it just looks so... Like, paint by numbers, you know? It, it's, like, it's so, like... I mean, it looks great. Like, some scenes look great, but then there's also some scenes where I'm like, this green is, like... The green in these trees is so unnaturally green that I feel like this isn't a real environment, you know? I get that, Like, yeah. you're supposed to, I mean, I mean, for fuck's sake, it's it's nature. It's supposed to be charged with life and, and, and sex and, and all of that. But, like, if I'm watching, like, I don't know, it must have been through a filter or something, but I'm just watching them walk through these woods and I'm like, this looks so fake. <laughs> I also feel like when you have these scenes where they're, like, rehashing the past, it's like... Uh, you know, you're supposed to be rooting for these characters to be get together, and you're also supposed to feel like the tension of, you know, will they actually get together? Yeah. I just don't, I don't feel either of those things. No. And just, you know, there are some very nice, like, sets, like, some of the costuming is cool, despite how it's inaccurate a lot of times. Mm. But, yeah, I got the, some <laughs> of the- You mean, like, Dakota Johnson's beret? <laughs> we'll get to the beret. <laughs> Sometimes the colors, yeah, were too saturated, like you said. I just feel like there were some, like, very nice compositions, like when they were walking on the cob, you pointed that out. Mm. There's a nice scene, or, like, shot, like, shortly after this, where, like, Anne is standing near a tree. I like kind of, I like kind of the composition of that, Mm. but a lot of these images feel, like, kind of flat. Like, there's, like, a lack of depth, you know? There are scenes where she's, like, in a bathtub and in the dark, and it's just, I don't know, something about the way it was shot and framed and lit, it just, I couldn't even tell where she was. I couldn't even tell that, like, her hair was wet and that she's supposed to be, like, in a tub. But, like, it's just, I don't know. There's a lot of, I don't know, just a lot of a lot of decisions that were made that maybe someone else should have piped up and been like, hey, maybe we should do it this way instead. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right, all right. And then, um, so then what's next is the the girls go for a walk. They go for, they go on the walk where, you know, going toward the Hater estate, right? Yeah, they, uh, they go on a hike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, to, yeah, flash forward a little bit, basically, like, the, um, the Musgrove girls and Mary and uh, Anne all go for, like, a hike. There's also a scene somewhere around here where Louisa... Is like I know I said I was gonna set you and Wentworth up. That's during the walk. Yeah. Oh, is that during the walk? Mm -hmm. Okay, so during the walk, she's like, I know I said I was gonna set you and Wentworth up, but actually I love Wentworth, right? (laughs) He's everything. (laughs) Uh, 
Which is, uh, it's such a choice to make them friends. I guess, why not? I don't know. I don't know why they had to have the whole thing of, like, it just feels like a half-baked subplot. Like, oh, I'm gonna set you up with Wentworth. Like, yeah. I feel like that could have been cut. Yeah, like... <sighs> if, she, if, like, Louisa doesn't know that they had a past, then why? Like, are they trying to be, and I hate to use this term, like, are they trying... No, I'm not even gonna use the term. I was gonna say PC, but it's not even PC. It's like, are they trying to, like, like, be, like... I don't know, like, like you know, Louisa in the book, she's vapid, she's young, she's, you know, um, what's the word, like, headstrong. She certainly does not have a relationship with Anne. Yeah. Right. So, I don't know, I worry that maybe someone reading that and they're like, you know what would be great for a modern adaptation if we made her, like, actually, you know, team, team women, you know, yeah. like, women supporting women uh-huh. and all of that. And it's like, that's not Louisa. <sighs> It unfortunately deflates, like, what eventually happens to her and, like, makes that, like, unrealistic to her character. Yeah, yeah. It's a choice. It's certainly a choice that they made. (laughs) It certainly makes it not funny. Uh Because in the book, what happens to Louisa is kind of funny. It's kind of (laughs) funny. I think this also this moment where she's like, you know, I see the looks you exchange with Wentworth. Obviously, you didn't just casually know him. Right, Right, so... Louisa, of all people, does seem to have interiority. Which is another, like, you know, just, like, taking the subtlety away from the book. Which is, the book is great in that no one knows, like, no one would have ever suspected that Anne and Wentworth had a history together. Right. Where in the movie, it's like, oh, it's so obvious that you two, like, used to bone, right? (laughs) Basically. (laughs) Yeah, basically. Yeah. (laughs) You've seen his penis. (laughs) Sorry. A little. Sorry to our young listeners. A little randy over there. But, um, okay, so, yeah, of all things, Louisa then, like, asks for Anne's blessing to pursue Wentworth, um, and then Anne kind of just says yes, she says, like, no, there's nothing there, it's, you're... It's from the past, I think that's what she says, yeah. Yeah. What you're looking at is the past. Uh, (laughs) I think that's the exact quote. Which would have been a fine piece of dialogue, but just, it just, dare I say, like, it just was not delivered very well. I'm sorry, Dakota. I don't think it's her fault. I don't think she knew what she was supposed to be doing. <laughs> and, like, so for that reason... The director's fault. Yeah. For that reason, the performance just, like, rings, like, hollow. Like, you know, if I can't get any sort of grip on what this character is supposed to be, then something's going wrong. Yeah. yeah. One minute she's, like, this alcoholic. The next minute she's, like, this whiny teenage girl. The next she's, like, this wise sage being, like... What you're looking at is the past. Yeah, like, like who says that? Yeah. Like, this is the same woman who's just putting jam on her face. <laughs> Saying, I'm Marie Antoinette. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, okay, and then, yeah, so then they walk some more. Mm-hmm. Um, they reach, like, the haters. Yeah, which, and, like, yeah, nothing yeah. really consequential comes of that. The haters kind of almost get written out. Yeah, yeah. Uh... Because Henrietta, because hen- Henrietta doesn't really have a flirtation with Wentworth either. Which no. is another thing they cut out, and another, like slightly problematic edge to Wentworth's character in the book, which is that he's kind of flirting with these two sisters at once, Mm -hmm. right? Which would have been... There's so many things from the book that I wanted to see in this movie that they didn't do. Yep, that can Uh, just summarize the entire (laughs) movie, I feel like. But anyway, so Henrietta goes off to the hater's house. uh, Mary's complaining, and then uh, they also cut out the fact that... Louisa and Wentworth went off to supposedly go find nuts, but oh. they go off on their own. They're like sitting and talking. Do you want to tell us how Anne, what Anne is doing when she finds them? She is squatting beside a tree to pee. 
to urinate. That's a choice. Here, let me tell you, this made me think of a scene I did like from the oh, Emma. Oh, you know what? Ad- Sorry, I don't mean to. Oh, the Emma ad- ad- adaptation where they're warming their butts. Yeah, <laughs> like I don't know. It's like a, you know, it's a great insight into like what would have happened in the time that Austin might not necessarily write about, and I'm like, I'm for that. Mm. But and it's also kind of like an interesting period detail, mm-hmm. you know. But the like, I don't know. I guess Anne would have peed in the woods, but why? I now that we talk, we're talking about this. I think I think there might have been like advanced screenings of this movie because all of a sudden on the internet, I was, or at least you know, my Google algorithm was giving me articles about like how did women back then you go to the bathroom in the or whatever. And so I'm like, why am I getting articles about? how women pee 200 years ago. And I think it might have had something to do with this scene. <laughs> well, did you glean any information? I think there was something, someone said they, like, <laughs> maybe not for hiking, but for other situations, they would have these, like, like gravy boat shaped. <laughs> ah, sorry, guys. Let's pause it. So what is Anne Elliot doing while she spies on this conversation between Louisa and Captain Wentworth? She is squatting next to a tree about to urinate here's the thing it made me think of another scene from the emma adaptation from a few years ago right yeah which is why which is um uh well first there's the there's like basically a cross shot of um of uh oh i'm blanking on his name the, the man. Uh, yeah, yeah, the nightly, whoever nightly. plays nightly. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And then, but then later on, you see <laughs> you him see, getting dressed by his servant. Yes, right? and you yeah. see him kind of tuck his his business into his trousers. <laughs> uh-huh. But then also later, you see um, Emma kind of alone in a room, in a large room with a fireplace, hike up the back of her dress so that she can basically warm up her butt next to the fire. I liked it when it happened there because it felt like here are little insights into like Regency life kind of, right? Mm-hmm. Here are like the things you might not see in a book, in the Austin book, which is one of the pleasures of the adaptation. Yeah. I also think those scenes were added specifically to inject some sex into this otherwise very like pastel and like very like um, picturesque type movie that's very driven like by like the scenery rather than like sex itself. I just don't. What is? What are we getting from her peeing in this moment? I it's guess. just more of the same of like she's you know she's a nutcase, she's a klutz, she's she's doesn't conform to society and all that. Uh, and though it's it's funny because I think um, maybe there have been there were advanced screenings of this movie because as soon because like bef- like a few days before this movie came out, I got for some reason like a bunch of articles talking about how regency era women use the bathroom when they like weren't near their home and basically there's apparently yeah you know this is what i read online which is that they would have their maids carry like these like gravy boat type um vessels where they would that what they would pee into and then the maid would just take it away (laughs) here's the thing people would be like using the chamber pot like behind a screen during the middle of parties you know and austin didn't write about that but that's not what this movie is showing us no that's not that's not like it's not like a oh this is like a slice of life that you're not privy to it's uh, privy that like that like (laughs) (laughs) that austin doesn't necessarily write about it's just more of like i think it just looks more like she's just being crass 
it's just kind of it's like crass for the sake of crass i feel yeah, like right. it's not an insight into the character it doesn't what me maybe what it tells us about Anne is that she doesn't care about like societal norms she'll pee in the woods but mm. i don't know like we got that already we got it well, yeah, you know yeah uh, yeah okay well the peeing is beside the point so well, before she, that comes the i love the um <laughs> i don't know where uh wentworth has to <clears throat> correct her and say that a simile is a metaphor or something like that or she oh, i can't remember the full extent i can't remember the full wentworth extent. does proclaim at one point that or someone says a simile is different from a metaphor which is just straight- oh, no, they were saying that's not a metaphor that's a simile and then someone says a simile as a metaphor and i'm like this is stuff that like our fourth grade teachers taught do us. do they even say a simile is a metaphor yeah they do they do. Okay. Yeah. All right. I thought they were just like, oh, oh, no, 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 no. I think they no. claim a simile is different than a no, metaphor. No, you're right. No, you're right. I wrote down a simile is a I metaphor. I think that's what we exclamation said. Point. The movie claims a simile is different than yeah, a metaphor. Yeah. They're like, that's not a metaphor. That's a simile. And then, yeah, Anne corrects herself. So Wentworth ever, you know, because we all know Wentworth is a grammar snob. <laughs> <laughs> he says that's a metaphor, not a simile. <laughs> a simile is a type of metaphor, guys. Yeah. Come on. Go okay. Ahead. Get with it. Yeah, so she overhears this conversation between Wentworth and Louisa, and Wentworth is, like, directly... In the book, it's all very circumspect. He's like, you know, Louisa, I admire you because you stick to your, you know, laurels. You stick to your guns, whatever. And some people don't do that, not naming names. Or in the movie, it's just like, Anne is like, you know... She, like, puts on this, like, front, like, she pretends she's on the fringe of society, but she's, like, a cold-hearted, like, <laughs> B-word, yeah, right? She's, uh, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. it is very, uh, like, what he's doing in this movie, is it's very catty, it's very, like, low of Wentworth. Wentworth would never do something like this. Um, but then again, there are a lot of things in this movie that Anne wouldn't do either, and here she is doing them. And he's like, that's the old Elliot Pride. And then yeah. Louisa is, I guess, you know, it's different. They're friends in this movie, but Louisa starts defending Anne. She's like, don't criticize Anne to me, right? Right. She's like, Anne's been nothing but nice to me. Mm-hmm. It's like, Anne is a sweet girl or something like that. I'm like, first of all, like, Anne is not a sweet girl in this movie. Mm-hmm. Anne is not sweet at all. You know, that is like the one actual, like, characteristics, characteristic of Anne in the book is that she is kind and sweet but she is not kind and sweet in the movie which is just more of the like the like you know it would, it, first of all it's it runs counter to the louisa's character because louisa wouldn't do something like that and it also is just like these descriptions don't even describe Anne, even if louisa was trying to be nice and also you know there's none of the sort of like oh you know in the book Wentworth is like, Louisa, you're like this nut, you know, you're hard to crack, like, when, when you're resolved, you're really resolved on something, which is not part of Louisa's character in this movie. No. Which, she, like, to the detriment of what happens later. Yeah, you know. no, she, Louisa is, in this movie, she's, like, fumbly, she's naive, she's green, she's, like, she is just, like, bes- bes- like, she's smitten by Wentworth and... And Anne. And Anne, yeah. yeah. Like, it is not... The Louisa that we love in Persuasion, the book. This is, I think they just kind of sucked all the character out of Louisa and's like, look, good person, mm. which is not a character. Sorry, writers. You can't just say someone's a good person and be like, that. that's that, you know, <laughs> that's the <laughs> end of that. You have to believe it because uh-huh. we said so. Yeah, and so then uh, the scene ends with, like, Anne hurting herself, and she, as a result, uh-huh. she gets taken by the carriage 
by so, the by the cross carriage. Yeah, yeah. He says like she places herself on the outskirts of situations, which is like that is not what we've seen at all from the Anne Elliot of this movie. Right. She inserts herself into situations where no one wants her. Yeah. And, well, that's the thing is that he I can't remember if it was here or somewhere else where he says like she just like judges everyone else. That's what it's her. here when he says yeah, that. Yeah. Which I'm like that's true of this movie. So it's like clearly they understand that the Anne that they're writing is judgmental and thinks highly of herself, which just means they did not want to write the Anne in the book. Why would you Austin wouldn't really I mean, like, Elizabeth Bennet maybe thinks a little too highly of her own, like, abilities, but she is still, like, self-aware. I don't think Austin would ever write a heroine. Well, I don't know. Like, Emma lacks self-awareness, but she's still, like, a good person on a certain level. Yeah. I don't she think, doesn't think yeah. any, She doesn't think people are, like, beneath her, you know, in, in that way. I think she can get carried away, but I don't think she's, like, inherently judgmental of people. She's not, like, right, yeah, yeah. Right, Judgmental, that's, yeah, like, Emma's not judgmental of people, necessarily. What it sounds like they're describing is, like, Caroline Bingley here. Yeah. And Austin would never write a book with Caroline Bingley as the star. No, right? no. Caroline Bingley would have, you know, that Bingley pride, maybe, except yeah. it's just Caroline and, and Murray, or, um, Mrs. Hurst. I can't, I don't remember her name. Um, but... The, yeah, no, the Elliot Pride, that is a term that is in the book. It's in the book, but Anne, it skips over Anne, yeah. The Elliot Pride does not refer to Anne. The Elliot Pride actually is is written <clears throat> as, like, to, to to reflect the count, how opposite to that Anne herself is. It's like, Anne is the only Elliot who doesn't have the Elliot Pride. I think there's also, in this scene, is when they transcribe that part from the book, Louisa says, we wish Charles had married Anne. Uh. And it's also, I, I feel like that's one of the instances in this movie where they're trying to, they're like having characters tell the audience, hey, you like Anne, right? Despite <laughs> despite the way that she comports herself. Right. Okay, but yeah, like you said, so she's listening to this conversation. Of course she is, of this movie, a, a huge klutz, I guess. So she trips, <laughs> like, walking away and hurts her foot. And the Crofts just happen to be coming by on their carriage. And for this reason, the Crofts, like, take her away on the carriage. Right. Versus in the book where she's just, like, tired, right? She's just, like, tired and she can't keep up. And uh-huh. Wentworth sees that in the book. Wentworth sees that she's, like, tired. And so he, in an act, another act of gallantry, he um, offers to let Anne have the seat in the carriage. Right? Yeah. yeah. It's just so much more interesting. In the book, Wentworth is like, I'm here for anyone but Anne, but he almost can't help but being gallant toward her. Exactly. Like, what is Wentworth doing here? Yeah, like, if, again, like, you know, to just drive this point home, like, if they hadn't spoken to each other, this 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 act of Wentworth offering the carriage to Anne would just be that much more um, impactful because this is, like, him being nice to her despite him trying to, like you said, like, ignore her, pretend she doesn't exist. Also, I think you said it, like, oh, women aren't allowed to be tired, I guess. <laughs> like, a strong woman would never be tired, well, that's right? Thing, that's yeah. thing. I was like, uh. like, why did they have to, like, have her injure her foot? Is it because, like, you would rather a woman be klutzy than, like, tired? <laughs> because a klutzy woman is okay, but a tired woman, well, we can't. That's just, that's too negative for uh. a modern audience. Women need to have a perfect resting heart rate and perfectly, uh, I don't know, muscly legs uh, for hiking. Uh, yeah, and they yeah. cannot get tired because if they get tired, then they're weak. <laughs> so then I feel like it's pretty, we kind of just rush right into going to Lyme. Like, mm-hmm. it's just like, oh, we're going to Lyme after this. Yep. And it gets, has to go to Lyme. 
Oh, no, no, not Anne has to. Um, yeah, they all decide to go to Lyme. Yeah, Anne comes along. Mm-hmm. We met Captain Harville. My note says, Captain Harville really young? <laughs> and why is he also so sassy? Yeah, the, he's, uh, like a, he's like a, like a, like a little, like, leprechaun See, he's an imp, yeah. Yeah, oh, an imp. Yeah, yeah if we remember from it. the book, Captain Harville is older, he's l- slightly lame, and he is, like, grieving his sister. Right, right the death of his yeah. sister, yeah. I also, before we go, go forward with this, but... The scenery here is beautiful. The shot right, with right. the the cliffs overlooking the beach and everyone the standing on the beach. It's a it's a great shot. And that's all I have to say about that. Well, it looks it's beautiful scenery, you know. I'd yeah, love to, I'd love to like, visit. Come on. It's hard yeah, to make, it's hard uh, to yeah. take a bad picture of line. Let's say. <laughs> is that is that fair to say? Um, no, no, no. There are some scenes that are very nice to look at here. So, and you know, that's you got to I feel like that's a staple. If you're going to make a Regency movie, if you're going to make a period piece like that, you got to give us some nice scenery, right? Mm-hmm. Especially if you're going to places known for their scenery, uh-huh. like Lyme. Um, but yeah, okay, so yes, we meet um, sprightly <laughs> Captain Harville. Right. I don't know why they chose to make him so young here. Like Because this movie is, like I think, geared towards young people, and they don't want many old people they don't, in it, yeah. honestly. I I, think, yeah, that could be it. Yeah, they don't. They think it's going to come off as boring. It's like, oh, boring old man. <laughs> boring old man mourning his sister. <laughs> <laughs> boring, moving on. Uh, so yeah, let's make him this like, like, like yeah, this imp. It's like, hey there, you know, I got a, I got a trick for you. I got a task uh, for you. <laughs> yeah, you got to Oh, well, okay. So he's like, I got a task for you. You got to, uh, you know, sweet talk old Benwick over there, yeah. right? I guess Who's it's Benick. Or... Benick, yeah. I guess you don't pronounce the W. Sorry, everyone. Sorry, everyone. But you already knew that pronunciation wasn't our strong suit. Um, <laughs> we see him forlornly staring off to sea. You know, we get the little tragical backstory of how his his fiance Harvel's sister Fanny died while he was off at sea, right? Right. Um, Yeah. And um, so then, uh, okay, well, here's the thing. This is supposed to be where Anne sort of starts to get her groove back. To come into her own, to like transform as the true heroine of the story. Yeah, right. right. Uh Like something about the salty sea air does wonders, a little sea bathing does actually do wonders Uh for you, would set you up for life. Thank you, Mrs. Bennett. Um, and it's supposed to be here that Anne actually starts to um, gain some color in her cheeks, get some like pep in her step, some like livelihood back, like injected into her again. But like, she's just the same old Anne, you know. She's she. I shouldn't even call her same old Anne because that's almost like too um, friendly a term for the Anne in the movie. It's just like Anne does not change throughout the entirety of the movie, that's let a- alone starting at L- Lime. That's a great point. One of the great joys of the novel is watching the transformation Anne undergoes. Mm. I don't see any way that she changes in this movie. No, she acts like a brat, and then she gets her happy ending. And then she gets rewarded for it. And she gets rewarded, yeah. Yeah. I do want to say Benwick also, like, whatever. He's a toss-away character, like, he's necessary for the plot, so I appreciate they gave him a little moment, but it just, like, you know... The kind of, like, skeeviness inherent to Benwick's character is taken away. Like, Benwick is, like, very sensitive, but Anne also kind of, like, sees through it at the same time. Yeah. Where they just, there's not the subtlety here. He's, like, yeah. throwing out poems uh-huh. and talking about uh, Byron and all this stuff. He's, like, a little bit of, like, a, a little bit of, like, a, um, I don't know, like, a 
an e-boy. <laughs> well, Anne also comes off kind of condescending in this scene where she's like, I think this is kind of a taken from the book where she's like, you know, the people who can truly appreciate poetry, it's most dangerous for. I think that is from the book. And mm. she's like, oh, you can only understand Byron if you've gone on, undergone a great loss, which I do not think is from the book. Mm. And it just kind of feels like, it's not like in the book, it's like this is a conversation Anne is having. She's trying to like rally this guy a little bit. Here it just feels kind of like condescending. Right. And she's also like smirking this whole time. Yeah, yeah. Like they have like in the book, they have like interesting conversations about poetry and mm-hmm. philosophy and all that. But here it's just sort of like it's it comes off it. it, it I don't know. It's um it's giving gatekeeping, you know, like, yeah. you know, people without any dead parents or fiancés don't know what Byron's talking about. Only have once you've suffered that do you really get at the heart of what he's what he's trying to say with his poetry. Uh oh, but are we Austin gatekeepers? As, oh, as, no, uh, yeah. as one review. <laughs> you <laughs> yeah, to here, quote one review. Yeah, like maybe I should yeah. be looking in the mirror, you know, to take a hard look at myself and maybe I'm the one I'm also a gatekeeper. I just feel like this isn't that was another instance of this performance being off. Like why is she like so smirky and smiley in this moment where she's talking like, essentially to this man about his, like, dead fiancé, right? Right, right. Um, but okay, alright, so what is the, what is one of the, like, the first most pivotal thing to happen while they're in Lyme? Mmm, who is in the distance? Mm. In a dark coat? And top hat. And top hat, but Mr. Elliot. Mm, one Henry Golding. One Henry Golding, uh. and let me just say... This man is a 10. <laughs> that comes later, too, but this man is indeed a 10. He, I mean... Well, well, how would you rate uh, Wentworth? Hmm. Moving on. (laughs) (laughs) All right, fair enough. Yeah, they see uh, Mr. Elliot. They don't know it's Mr. Elliot yet. They see this figure in black coming from the distance. (laughs) They're walking along this trail. Yeah. I mean, obviously, he is wearing black because he's in mourning, but... I looked at him like he, I mean, he just kind of emerges like seemingly out of like the tall grass. And I'm like, this is Satan incarnate. <laughs> I wish he was Satan. I wish this character, this oh, characterization God. of El- Mr. Elliot was a little darker. I wish at least he remained. Yeah. His, well, whatever. He, rem- I just, you know, nevertheless, Okay, he so they comes see him, in, they honestly, like cross paths. Yes. They, there's a different from the book, of course. Just, just bad writing. Like putting dialogue where there needs be, there needs not be dialogue, right? No, yeah. Uh, of in course the book, they, yeah. They, in, in the, the book, what happens in the book? Well, in the yeah. book, it's like a fleeting glance, like as they like cross paths, and it's just like like a blink and you miss it, and then that's it. It's a glance, like he's like checking her out a yeah, little bit, which is like hot, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, he's checking her out. Yeah, she's yeah. checking him out. Uh-huh. Uh, she's like, yeah, who is this handsome stranger this looking is, at me? This is a handsome guy looking at me, maybe for the first time in years, right? And the, for, for the first uh-huh. time in like eight years, yeah. and she's including Charles. <laughs> <laughs> that a handsome man has looked her way, has given her any kind of attention. And that, I think, is a product, again, like, to what I said before, about, of Lyme, of, like, the the, the environment of Lyme changing her, you know, physically and, like, internally as well. But, yeah. So what do they, what do they even say? It's like, oh, you're in my way, something like that. Something like, like that. Then why don't you get out of it, I guess, yeah, right? Yeah, like, oh, I... I Something stupid. Something not sexy. Yeah. Something not sexy. Something that'll look would have been way more effective than. Yeah. So they meet, they walk on. Of course, Wentworth is like at the end of the party, and then Wentworth and Mr. Elliot have to exchange some words in the scene. <laughs> and what did you say? <laughs> well, Wentworth is acting like like a blowhard here, kind of. He's like, hey, you know, like, maybe you better make way for the lady. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like ready for the dick measuring contest to happen right now. <laughs> 
It's like, whip it out. I got the ruler. <laughs> That's just how, like, Wentworth is acting in this scene. Yeah, and it's it's not... I mean, like, yes, you're supposed... To, obviously, there's the, like, oh, who, who is this man, you know, coming to threaten my position and all of that, but it's like... It comes... It's just... It's so cheesy, you know? Like, yeah, how, it's, how it's played out on screen. Like, like to your point, a look, another look between the two men would have been enough, yeah, you know? Yeah, A dick-measuring look. <laughs> but, it's like, also, it just makes Wentworth seem like a... Like a cheesy, kind of, like, corny character, too. Yeah. Like, oh, you know, don't, don't talk to my ex-girlfriend, right? Yeah, he's they, like, oh, can I help you? Uh, <laughs> yeah, the Wentworth of the book is better than that. Yeah. Um... I can't remember if it was before or after the scene, but then there's another scene. Anne and Wentworth have yet another conversation on the beach where they feel like yeah. they have to redefine that their comes relationship. Right after this. Okay, yeah. well, all right. Do you want to? What happens in that conversation? Well, this is where she um, has the line of like, "We're worse than strangers," or maybe, or "We're worse than exes." We're friends. <laughs> this scene. This is a trope straight out of the 21st century. Mm. They have this conversation where Wentworth's like, you know, I know it's been awkward between us, even though we've been talking incessantly this whole time, but, like, I want to, like, be friends with you now, right? Let's Uh, let's be friends, right? Let's clear the Uh air, let's, like, shake hands and start anew, and it's like, why did this need to be in this movie at all? Like, it's, it just seems like this movie had a completely different goal, which is just to honestly make a less interesting version of persuasion where they just like like pick it apart and like massacre my (laughs) massacre my boy persuasion and just like try to like fit it into like the conventions of like a three-part rom-com including the like hey let's be friends let's be friends now which is like does not happen in persuasion i mean in persuasion they kind of like they forge like a somewhat like friendly relationship but, right. like, there never needs to be a scene where it's like, hey, let's be friends now, right? It's yeah. just like, it's it's like they saw other movies and they're like, this is how you write a rom-com. But they did it, like, very half-assedly. Yeah. You don't even see them, like, trying to be friends after this. Because then they're basically, like, split asunder, like, right. in a few scenes after that. Like, if it was smart, if they wanted to do this, then they should have introduced this earlier. Like, hey, let's be friends. Mm. But I don't know. Yeah. At least, yeah. Like, yeah. If they sit, if they had put it earlier to the less, let's be friends, and then maybe then Anne had to watch him flirt with Louisa, that would be that much more interesting. If that was the twist, if they didn't want to have, like, the silent, like, Wentworth and Anne not talking at all, that would have been the twist to just, like, do from the beginning. Like, they clear the air, and they're like, okay, let's be friends, right? But if, obviously they're still into each other. Like, if that's what you want to do, fine. But, like, actually do it then, you know? The scene just, like, it comes too late. It feels half-assed. Uh. No, yeah, it's it's... It just makes the scene that much more boring. Um, sorry, it just makes the movie, or the story that much more boring, less original. And honestly, I was almost hoping, no, I was hoping that this was just a dream sequence. And Anne You did ask up. that. Is yeah. this a dream? I was like, is this a, this is a dream, right? Because I'm like, because she's fucking barefoot and she has her, her hair in like a messy braid and she's by herself on the beach. Uh-huh. She, like, like how did, what is even the lead up to this scene? Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, no, he, he they, yeah, purportedly he finds her at the beach and they have this stupid conversation and then he, and then he says, pays her all these like crazy compliments about like, Oh, she, yeah, yeah, what does he say? Well, she's, like, she's so good in an emergency, and, like, I don't know, just... You always have a level head. Yeah. You haven't seen any of this. And it's just, like, 
what i'm literally like why are you why are you when we're spoiling the rest of the movie like why are you telling me things that have yet to come it's like well, the reason he says that is because of the Louisa scene, which happened shortly after. Mm. But it's just a testament to, like, the writers realize, like, hey, we didn't... Like, there's no indication that Anne is good in an emergency anywhere in the preceding movie. In the novel, you get it when, the when you know, Mary's son falls and Anne acts like... Is the only one who acts in a prepared way. Right. But they cut that part out of the movie. Also, Wentworth would have no idea of any of that. Wentworth yeah. has no idea what kind of... How, how Anne is in an emergency. I know, yeah, why would he know that? I know. Mm. It's just, like, it's just lazy writing. And yeah. also, I think, like, the writers, like, use this, like, I excuse, this fallacy that, oh, modern modern couples are constantly defining their relationship. Young people are constantly having to define things and put labels on it to, mm. like, as an excuse for bad writing. Yeah. Like, oh, you know, this is what young people do now, so let's have, like, a third conversation between Wentworth and Anne where they define their relationship, right? Every conversation that they have, it just take it just, like, makes the ending of the movie that much less interesting and that much less, like, pivotal. Uh-huh. Because it's like, well... What, what am I holding out for? These two buddies to, like, rekindle their friendship or their acquaintance? It's yeah. like, I don't I don't want them to be... I don't care if they're... It's like, okay, they're friends now. I'm going to look at my phone and, you know, like, whatever. <laughs> it's not like if they had introduced this earlier, it's not like, oh, the classic trope of, you know, let's watch these two friends get together. Mm. Like, you just... It's, it's not there. Like, why no. try to insert that into the movie now? No. The let's be friends trope also is very old and annoying and is also like you said a relic you know like no one uses that trope anymore austin didn't use it no no um okay and then, well and how does this scene end <laughs> egregiously enough oh you know she takes a dip in, in the water in her dress yeah in her dress, uh-huh. she takes yeah. a little swim yeah she takes a little swim which um you know everyone knows if there's a, a scene in which people are wet either by rain or ocean it's a baptism which means it's Something it's a it's a rebirth. So it's she's starting anew here because now they are going to move forward as friends. When she started walking in the ocean fully dressed, I'm like, is this Star is Born? Am I about <laughs> to see like James Mason walk like commit suicide by walking into the ocean? You know, oh, you're talking about old Star. Yeah, Born. old Star is Born. Okay. Like, why why is she like going for a swim fully dressed? I don't know because the thought of being friends with Wentworth is driving her to kill herself. <laughs> I don't know. Also. I, I know we said, like, you know, not a criticism, just pointing out, like, they, you know, she wouldn't have done this. The book takes place in November. You wouldn't have gone swimming in the ocean. Also, like, as, like, a Regency woman, she wouldn't have just gone swimming, like, out in the open. Mm. They have, like, it's called bathing machines, you know? They would go into these tents to, like, go into the ocean. Right, right. I think just, it was just for cinematic yeah. effect, even though it did not work it just looked dumb it's like they took the rain scene from 2005 pride and prejudice and it's like we need to do our version of this yeah you're right yeah and it didn't work and it Sorry. didn't work yeah well on that note of a baptism being a rebirth i theorize that this means that this is like where part let's say part one of the movie and or the first half right the first yeah. half of the movie and so in the spirit of that and in the spirit of not trying to go over time on this podcast episode, we're going to end here. But don't worry, we are the second part will be up at the same time. So feel free to listen to the next episode right after this one. Okay. All right. Well, we'll see you then.